welcome to episode 357 of the Awesome Comics Podcast, a place where the small press makes one hell of a big noise. I'm Vince Hunt, and joining me as always is the creator of the webcomic Vanguard, Dan Butcher. Hello. And he never irons anything because he only wears shell suits. It's Tony Esmond. <laughs> hey now. You'll <laughs> <laughs> call back there. I mean, I, mean, I mean, did either yeah. of you two ever have a shell suit? Yeah. Uh... I don't, don't think so. I had one of those sort of Adidas tops you, that looked like I was in a you, rap group from New York. You, you must have. You I've must shown have my age. My mum bought me one. Did she? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had one. She heard uh, they were highly flammable and I had one the next day. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Mind you, the friction, you can you can turn up sometimes. You know. <laughs> oh, we're doing it again. Look, we've got a high-profile guest on and we're just talking wank talking again. Bollocks. Yeah. I, I to be fair, that was fairly tame compared to the normal tripe that Yes, um, yeah, yeah, fair enough. That I'm, trying, to, I, I'm, I'm to trying to rein in on a weekly basis. <laughs> Can we say finally say our watch is over? Yes, the watch is over. Two thousand one hundred and eighteen right. days. Yes. This this week um is a special special week because yes. we have the one, the only Mark Miller on the show. There's yeah. a bit of audio coming up. Um, which is fantastic, and you and you'll learn a fair bit about the man, and hopefully it's uh, not the last time he'll be on the show. I mean, we cram a lot in there. We do get yeah, through a lot in that hour. It's good. Yeah. We made the most of it, didn't we? Yeah. We talked a little bit after as well. And I think we could have, I could have talked to the guy all, all night. Um, yeah, he was great, man. Yeah, really, really. Night. Yeah, and he was he he didn't mind just chatting off mic and everything. He was great. Yeah, 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 yeah really good. Um, but thankfully, he liked chatting on mic. So yes. yeah, so look forward. Poor to old that. Mike. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, do you know what Mike does like though, Tony? Yeah. Our friend is Mike. it is it is it Mike is it Mike like um, one of those chairs they had? <laughs> you just sit on him. Uh, I think he likes. See, you've done Vince it again. Get... You've yeah. done it again, there, Tony. I'm not what being done. You you know. Um... <laughs> Comic House. <laughs> Comic House. Our lovely sponsor. <laughs> um, yes, they are the indie comic marketplace that loves indie comics as much as we do, and that you do because if if you're listening to this, you probably like independent comic books. So, um, you definitely want to check out comichouse.com because there's a huge selection of titles on the Comic House database. If you self publish, you can list your stuff on there. It's another avenue to get your work out there to a whole new audience. Plus, they have an app, um, a title of which is on there that I'll be recommending later. But oh, nice. There's loads of stuff on, that's always that's on there and being added to all the time. It's basically a subscription service, basically like Netflix for comics, really. Only £3 a month, and you get access to an ever-increasing library of digital indie comics. What's on there at the moment, Dan? We've got uh, The Wilder, short volume uh, one. We've got Atomic Hercules Goes Commando, which is that. Yes. Gem. The banned <laughs> comic. Yeah. Uh, that's not my favourite Atomic. Uh, to- my favourite Atomic is the, the next one. When it's oh, Weapon of Mass Destruction. Yeah. I, I think oh, okay. That's, Three fights, um, comedy Nazis. I think that's like peak... Atomic Hercules. Uh, oh, where he destroys the building with his own jizz. That's my favourite moment. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We've got a comic scene annual 2021, uh, History of Comics from 1977, and The Monsters Cleanup Guy, issue one. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think in that, that fashion, but... No. There you but go. There's an idea in there somewhere. Exactly, yeah. and you have, yeah. to write, you have to read it to find out if it is that. Yeah. Yeah. Might be, I don't know. I'm reading yeah. it. And you have you read that one, Vince? I have not read that one yet. But I've read that one. Have you? Yeah. Well, no spoil, oh, no spoilers. Yeah, don't spoil it. Yeah, okay. we, has, we, it, has it got dongs in it? We want our lovely. <sighs> it, if it does, that's a massive Tony, spoiler. It, Tony, <laughs> Tony's not going to read it if it doesn't. 
Yeah, um, like, yeah. But you can find <laughs> out more about that title and more at Comic House. And, and you can start a 14 day free trial by heading to comichouse.com. And thank Not you a bad it. advert, that. Normally, our advert good one. about 10 yeah. minutes where we just throw hand grenades at you, but that went all right, that yeah. one. Yeah. We're being behaved. Because well, other people no, might listen not, to this one. Because it's already been five minutes of you absolutely destroying any semblance <laughs> of a structure that this show might have. So I'll tell you what, listeners. I'm oh, going to go straight into the interview. I'm gonna do, yeah, I'm going to do you all a big favour. You're not going to have to put uh, up with this nonsense anymore because here is a fantastic interview with Tony, Dan, and the wonderful legend that is Mark Miller. Okay, yes, listeners, it's finally happened. Um, Old school OG listeners will remember Miller Watch. Well, we hit day 2118. (laughs) And uh, yes, Mr. Mark Miller is with us. He needs obviously no introduction. But for those who have been hiding in a wheelie bin, I couldn't think of anything else to say on that one. um, He's a writer for Marvel, DC, 2018, Vampirella, um, Image, Dark Horse and more. Now the head of Miller World at Netflix, producing comics and TV nonstop. Personal favourites of ours have been Civil War, Kick-Ass, The Authority, Christmas with the Fantastic Four, which I reread this morning, loved that, um, Starlight, The Magic Order, and last year's book of the year for us, King of Spies. Um, welcome to the ACP, Mark. How you doing, man? You right? Doing good. Good to see you. Good. Awesome. Yeah, this is excellent. Good. That's this list of winning those titles. They're <laughs> just absolutely just amazing comics. I, I didn't realise I'd been that busy. I've been working really hard. Yeah. Like, I need to get out of the house. That's only a small percentage <laughs> as well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I think what we'll probably do is maybe just have a little, a little just talk about your sort of origin story, as it were. Um, now, you were, as I've, we've listened to, a, we were listening to the Scroobius Pip interview. We did the Kayfabe, which is great as well. Oh, but you were like the youngest of quite a big household, weren't you? Was it um, quite an artistic upbringing? Were you encouraged to do that sort of thing? Um, kind of traditional working class artist, I guess. You know, there, there's always a kid in the class who's good at drawing Batman and things like that. Yeah. You know, we never imagined that you would go on and, you know, have a career in this kind of thing. Or anything, mm. you know? and even going to art school seemed like crazy. You know, that's I didn't know anyone who'd been to art school. But in the housing estate where I grew up, every couple of streets, there's a guy who's a really good painter or somebody who has a comic book collection and is pretty good at drawing Batman and everything. And, and when I was a little kid, when I was about nine, I started going to an adult art class where I learned how to oil paint and everything, you know? Oh, nice. But it was just, it was guys who weren't artists full-time. You know, there were guys who worked in factory jobs and everything, but had this incredible artistic talent. And it, it really shaped me a bit, actually, because you kind of realise there's really brilliant people out there who just don't get an opportunity, you know? And I realised when I look back how kind of lucky I was that I got to do something weird like this, this job coming from the kind of background that I did, you know? Yeah. I've heard you say that you were the best drawer in your class and that sort of inspired you a bit, was it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's funny. I don't know if you've heard this theory. It's like, it's this kind of idea that if you come from a small place, you've a much better chance of making it in whatever endeavour you're going into than if you come from a big place, right? Oh, okay. okay. I have this theory and it was, if you come from New York or London or something like that, you know, there's and you're a really good guitarist, there's probably... A thousand guys are at least as good as you, but if you come from a tiny place, it's kind of a big deal. You're the guy that can play the guitar, or you're the guy that's good at drawing Batman, you know. So you kind of have this confidence. It's weird. Mm, yeah, you think, oh, I'm, I'm the best at this, you know. And then it's only when you hit the adult world you think, oh no, I'm, I'm not at all. But by that point, <laughs> you're so imbued with confidence from from growing up that you surprisingly do well. So that's why you see all these guys like Calvin Harris and all that, you know, all from small towns, you know, suddenly making it big on the world stage. I think it's fascinating. Okay, yeah, I've never heard that before. That makes so much sense. Oh, yeah, yeah, that confidence yeah. of being the best. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah imagine it's an LA guy or a New York guy or something, but that's kind of when you go from the small town to LA or New York, you know, you always start in the small town. Yeah. I always wondered the uh, the effect of the internet, what that has on people now, because you're, I mean, you're not only exposed to people living in your town or your area, your country, yeah. you're going up against the world and sometimes you see like comic artist stuff and you're like, dear Lord, I should just pack this in because they're amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, how are the days? 17. Okay. That <laughs> When I was 18, I went down to DC, we're doing a kind of a thing, but it was a bit like a cattle market, but it was the most exciting thing in my life, right? When I was 18, I got the bus down to London, DC, we're there doing some kind of like uh, review of portfolios. And I tried to be an artist originally, and I mm. had, you know, the paper you get in school, which is all squares for doing maths on? Yeah. All my drawings were on that because I couldn't afford proper card or anything like this, you know? So I, it was pictures of Batman and Green Lantern and Spider-Man fighting and everything on maths paper. And I remember standing behind a guy who was a proper illustrator, and I had that feeling exactly what you said, but you think, yeah. oh, God, what is the point here? Yeah. And he had a leather-bound case and, you know, beautifully drawn pages. It was a guy who I became friends with later, David Hine. We, we but, love David. He's mm. been on the show a couple of times. Yeah, he's great as well. Yeah. yeah, I told him that. I said, you literally stopped me from becoming an artist because I saw <laughs> your stuff. And I, I didn't even try. I thought I'm not even going to show anybody this stuff. You've got this theory as well. I've heard you talk about how um, to be a good writer, you also have to have an element of be a, be an artist as well. Sometimes is that right? Yeah, well, certainly as a comic writer, yeah, and I think also for film too because they're both such visual mediums. You know, so mm. you, you know you can do radio plays without any kind of sense of drawing or anything like this, or, or you you can do novels where something can take place in one room or in somebody's head and everything. You know, but in terms of comics, I think it's really important to be able to draw and to be able to visualize it. And I think if you don't, you can give the artist some really boring stuff to draw. I always try and every couple of pages give the artist something they can sell. Yeah, later. Right, yeah, okay. we'll definitely get you, to that because we've heard your theories around that. Yeah, that's. Do you ever do like a, a character design mark for like your artist? And I wouldn't, I would, wouldn't like them looking something like this, and then they elaborate it on it. Or oh just, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. I always because I have an idea in my head. They always improve it though. I mean, like, mm. and sometimes it can end up nothing like my original thing. But I always have an idea in my head what the character should look like. But something like Kick-Ass, for example, Johnny Romita took that in a direction I would never have imagined, and it looked fantastic. It looked great. Ah, yeah. uh, okay. Yeah. So going back a little bit to your early years, what was it that really inspired you and pushed you on? I'm, I'm get, I've heard you say it was Superman comics, and then the the Spider-Man movie. Is that right? A loads of things. I mean, the, the Spider-Man that nobody remembers. I mean, that one. Yeah. yeah well, yeah. Look, no, I love, I love that that show. <laughs> yeah. And to me, it's funny that the Nicholas Hammond Spider-Man you're talking about was a pilot in the states. But in the UK, was a theatrical release. Yeah, I so saw it too. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, I was eight when that came out, right? So it's our seven or eight. And Star Wars was out, Close Encounters came out, Spider-Man the movie, Superman, Raiders of the Lost Ark. So for me, it's actually up there as a theatrical release with some of these biggest films ever made. <laughs> and uh, which is crazy because it's like the pilot of a, a relatively yeah. inexpensive TV. Yeah. Because we yeah, got the oh, Dragon oh, Strikes as well. They put a second film out, didn't they? Yeah. Remember? It was oh, like yeah, the Kung Fu one, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, there was Spider Man Strikes Back and then there was um Spider Man the China connection or something like yeah, that. Was it the Dragon's Challenge? The Dragon's Challenge, that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I so remember it was a martial arts movie which was actually a really good use of Spider Man's fight uh, fight skills, you know. Actually when you're that age you love yeah. playing that stuff with your pals. Yeah. So we would all go out and do Kung Fu, you know, fighting Spider Man all So that was sort of like was that late seventies, so that had been like Enter the Dragon kinda Bruce yeah, Lee post, kind of times. Yeah. Exploitation era, yeah. It was on your wall when that movie came out. It was the tail end of that kind of kung fu thing, you know. Right, okay. What, what sort of comics were inspiring you at the time, Mark? 
Um, well, because, like yourselves, you know, being in the UK, quite often reprints of American comics. Hmm. So the Marvel UK stuff, I was a little bit behind. So 1973 Spider-Man was 1976 Spider-Man, if you lived in the UK. So I was reading like, Death of Gwen Stacy and everything. That was like my first one. The Goblin's Last Stand, I think it was. Um, you know, that was my first Marvel comic. But then outside of that DC stuff, it was coming in in dribs and drabs. So you would get part one of a story, then you'd wait three years for part two and then get part three two months after that you know so it, it was kind of chaotic until comic stores appeared and then you could actually start being able to collect comics properly mm. yeah i've heard you say you used to like leg it around all the news agents in your neighborhood i was the same because yeah. sometimes you would see avengers 201 and then you wouldn't see it till avengers 206 and you yes. yeah you wouldn't get it then you know you just couldn't find it i, I wonder do you think that hunt made it kind of exciting you know, yeah is that, so. yeah that what made us fanatics you know the Maybe. fact that it was like hunting down Pokemon cards, wasn't it? You know, for us, wasn't it? We were going round yeah. every shop hoping. Yeah. Every Saturday, I've been round for years sometimes looking for part two of a story. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I can remember going on one week, like every day, going to the news agent trying to find an issue of X-Men because I know some other kid from a school liked it as well. And whoever got it first, that was it. You were done. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know the artist Brian Hitch who I did Ultimates with? You know, like Brian Hitch came from Carlisle and... Uh, I don't know if you remember this, but newsagents used to just get one copy of each book. Yeah. And I, I went to Carlisle for a, for a school trip when I was about 13 or 14. And 13 I was. And I got DC Comics Presents, I think it was number 47, right? DC Comics Presents number 47 from the local newsagent. And I read it in the bus coming home from the school trip. And Brian Hitch told me that was his shop that he would uh, get right. the comics in. And that's <laughs> the gap in his collection. He's missing number 47. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how rare they were you know it was yeah if you were late you, you missed them so what drove you to do to write who were your favorite writers can you remember uh oh i mean stan lee obviously originally but um but i think a big guy for me actually was a guy that not a lot of people talk about now which i think is such a shame is carrie bates yeah like carrie, carrie bates wrote superman from he was like 12 or 13 or 14 you know he's from that jim shooter generation working okay. for mark wiesinger in the late 60s and, um, you know, you had brilliant science fiction writers from the 40s and 50s working at DC Comics at the time, you know, Gardner Fox kind of guys, Otto yeah. Bind, all those guys. Mm. But then I think, I don't know, there was talk of a union and everything. They were getting a little scared and they thought, let's hire schoolboys, you know. <laughs> and they happened to just hire the most brilliant schoolboys, Jim Shooter, Carrie Bates, these guys. Okay. The Carrie wrote The Flash, Superman and all that kind of stuff when I was growing up and I worshipped him. I think he was the first writer outside of Stan Lee that I actually followed. I would, I would, when I was eight or nine, I would actually check out his books specifically. You know? Oh, interesting. So I heard yeah. you also mention your Mount Rushmore being Alan Moore, Frank Miller and Howard Chaikin. So they, I'm guessing yeah. you found most of them much later, yeah? Yeah, much later. Yeah, that was like a, a teenager really. You know, like I discovered Alan Moore when I was about... 13 when i met him actually I, I met him when he was doing swamp thing he was at a glasgow comic convention in 1983 it was actually a comic mart and that's how early in moore's career it was that he would be a guest at a mart instead of a convention you know where there's 200 people there or something but he was so new to being alan moore that i actually managed to get an hour of his time and it was like talking to god talking to moses you know it was that's amazing him, you know and yeah. he told me everything he told me his plans they had for doing a Superman annual with Dave Gibbons a couple of years later. Oh, wow. He said that Dave had a map of the Fortress of Solitude and he was plotting out the story of where the fight scene was going to take place. And the, you know, so just all this stuff that tantalised me as a kid. So I discovered I discovered Moore and became an instant fan of him. I really liked him as a person. He was such a nice yeah. man, and he was so encouraging to me as well. I told him I wanted to be a comic writer, and he was, and it, he made it seem kind of possible because he lived in the same 
island as, as I mm. did. You, did you do the UCACs and all that sort of thing back then? Or? Yeah, 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 me too. Yeah. It's funny, I, I talked about this recently, but I remember the first UCAC that I went to it was 1988, and I went down solo, like I didn't know anyone. And I don't know if you guys have ever done this, but like by this point, all of my friends at school had stopped reading comics, so I was the only guy who cared about these things, yeah. And I would loan them Watchmen, Dark Knight, and things like that, but but they weren't really, they were moved on by that point. Yeah. So I went down on my own to Ukaik and it was terrifying, you know, because one, I was half the age of everybody else that was there. I wanted to work in the industry, but I didn't know anyone. And I remember just walking around for two days, like yeah. looking at their face, I kind of recognized. And you'd sometimes see somebody from your local comic shop and get a bit of a chat going with them or something, but they were there with their buddies and everything. So I remember just thinking, oh, it's a nightmare. And I've done this ever since. Like anytime I'm at a convention I'm all, and I'm on a panel, I always say, is there anybody here on their own? And there's always a surprising number of hands go up, like maybe 20% of the hall. And I was, uh, so I get everybody to squeeze up together and have them introduce themselves to the people on either side of them. And then they always leave kind of knowing somebody else, you know? Cause that's great. Yeah. It's grim walking about a comic show on your own. Yeah, I did UCAC. I think my first one was 84 or something. I did it on my own. Yeah, and like you say, I walked around till I was knackered, up and down those stairs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I sat in a room with Dave Sim, who talked about going to a titty bar at one point, and I'm like, "What's going on? What's this all about?" Yeah. The I also heard you talk about on the Scroobius, or was it? I think it might have been on Kayfabe about Daredevils magazine, which obviously we all love from our, our sort of age. Was yeah. that? And Alamore wrote a lot of text pieces, a lot of history stuff in there. I think you mentioned yeah. Bernie Krigstein. You know, were yeah. you studying the form back then as well? I was studying it without realizing I was studying okay. it. You know, mm. so, so Alan Moore was giving me an education and those back pages of Daredevil, but so cleverly that you didn't, you thought you were just being entertained. Yeah. And uh, so he, right. he wrote an article on Frank Miller, who I only discovered through the pages of Daredevil as well, you know? Um, so, I mean, for American readers, you know, our listeners, this is a British reprint magazine called The Daredevils, uh, which had Frank Miller's Daredevil in it, Alan Moore's Captain Britain, all that stuff. But it was kind of like a fanzine a little bit as well, wasn't it? Because there was a lot of text pieces in there too. There was yeah. short stories like Night Raven and everything. But Alan Moore writing a four-page essay on Bernie Kriegstein and things, you know, it was it was brilliant. It was like it was like doing your A levels or first year university for being a comic book pro, I think. Really. And they had like fanzine reviews in there and stuff, didn't they? As well, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it opened you up to that world of fanzines and everything too. Yeah, yeah. Which, Again, you live in a small town in the UK, you don't, may not realise is going on. Yeah. And that was an every news agent. Marvel UK was very very good at distributing. Back then, you were pretty much every news agent in the country got that. It didn't last very long. It was kind of too good to last, almost. Yeah, yeah, I know. I'd have to track a copy of this down. I've never seen it. I'm just outside the age bracket. Oh, Oh, okay. I'd say it's as pivotal as Warrior, uh, as pivotal, and you know that Warrior, and I guess 2008 at that time was going through a really great run as well. I mean, that was a Mm. real golden age of British comics. Yeah, and you had a bit of Doctor Who weekly around that with a lot of the the big guys, you know, Pat and Allen and. Dave yeah. and all these sort of people doing strips as well. It was a real sort of golden age for it, I think, yeah. Do you know I weirdly never grew up into Doctor Who? I never watched it. The very first episode of Doctor Who I saw was Russell T. Davis. Oh, well, okay. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, okay. but then I loved it. It was great. Yeah, yeah. I could see you as a showrunner. Let's get on with it. Yeah. Um, no <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the, the, your first comic job was Saviour at Trident. Is that right? Yeah. 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 Okay, how did that come about? It was kind of like uh, the British fanzines at the time. Um, there was a guy, a really lovely man called Martin Skidmore, who edited one called Fantasy Advertiser. Yeah. And he um, just basically put an ad in the back saying he was 
he had a little money that was coming in from some guy who wanted to start a comic company because comics was really on the rise. You know, you have to remember there's those 20 year cycles, you know, where comics is really on the up. And after Dark Knight and Watchmen and everything, you know, some people wanted to invest in comics. And this guy started a, a, a small black and white comic line. And it was a hell of a lot easier to get into than Marvel or DC or any of the British comics like 2000. Mm. Um, and I thought, I'll give it a try. So I wrote an outline for, for a thing. My, my idea was a sequel to the Bible because I thought the Bible sold so many copies. <laughs> I'm going to try and cash in on this. <laughs> and my original title for it was Bible 2. Very uh, <laughs> Mel Brooks. Yeah. And he phoned me up like a couple of days later. And I remember just thinking, I can't believe this is happening. You know, like uh, I was a teenager and the, the page rate was pretty modest. It was £10 a page, 240 quid for my first check. But really exciting to be writing, mm. seeing it getting drawn and making a little bit of money from it as well. It was fantastic. It's uh, great, uh, it? And he was, was such awesome. a great guy. He died actually a few years ago, but he was um, he was the very heart of UK fandom for a yep. long time. But, uh, everybody knew him. Everybody really liked him. He was just a really generous guy. And he was so flattering with my scripts, which were nearly okay, you know, but he did make me feel like this could actually happen. You know, and he says, oh, I could see you doing... Swamp Thing or whatever in a few years' time, or Batman and everything, and that was cool. really, yeah, this could happen. You know? Yeah, that's awesome. Like the small press of the time. I mean, most of our podcasts are about the small press, but yeah, yeah it's very much like that, yeah. And it did yeah. did you get the 2000 AD work off the back of that then, did you? Or? Uh, yeah, yeah, very much. But also I had a, had a real help from Alan Grant, you know, the, the mm. Dread Batman writer, Alan yeah. Grant. And um, I remember I asked Grant Morrison, I interviewed Grant Morrison for, a, for Fantasy Advertiser, actually, um, and I said to him, um, what would you recommend? And he said the godfather of british comics is alan grant you know he says alan grant got me into 2008 talking about himself and got um alan moore in as well he says if you can send him some submissions he knows the guys really well who worked on 2008 and he'll put in a good word for you if he likes his stuff and alan was fantastic um he i would send him maybe five ideas and he'd read them and write back to me this is pre-email he'd write back to me with a handwritten letter criticizing each one but really cleverly, the way a writer can, they can pick it apart, you know. Mm. And uh, and he put in a good word with me with Steve McManus, and I got two future shocks and a crisis six part story in crisis from that. By the time I was about nineteen, maybe or cool. something, you know. Yeah, so that's it excellent. Good, you know? It was really really nice. And then you moved over to the states, but I mean, a lot of people probably think you you know that you had this sort of meteoric rise and it was easy money. But you you battled a bit at DC, didn't you, for a while? I've heard you talk about writing the Who's Who's pages for. Oh 90 God, quid yeah. or something yeah I, I got in i got into american comics just as they were collapsing you know and it was funny i sold my very first story that i sold to an american publisher was a batman story when i was 23 so that was 1993 i sold a batman story for legends of the dark knight and i sold it in 1993 and i think it was published in 1997 <laughs> because they built up such an inventory of stories that made was just in a drawer for years but i remember selling that story and hearing that the royalties on Batman at the time was about five or six thousand an issue, you know, um, which was pretty substantial back then, you know. Yeah. And I remember because the page rates were maybe a, for an issue you'd get about two thousand dollars, so you were making a huge amount more on royalties. I remember selling this Batman story and thinking, I, I am just going to sit back and relax for the rest of my life. This is amazing. I can live off the royalties from from this one story, and then it lay in a drawer for years. Um, and I, I got in just at that point where the American comics industry halved in size and then it halved in size again the following year. It, was, it expanded so much in the early 90s that contraction was inevitable and it expanded without the talent base to really 
fulfill that many books. I mean, Marvel and DC were putting out so much stuff and there was all these small indie companies as well. So it contracted back to a more sensible number, but it was horrible for anybody working in the industry, especially if you were like me and you were just a new guy who didn't really have any kind of track record because your chances of finding work was slim. So I just, I bobbed along for a few years and I would actually say it was Superman Adventures before I, I mean, it was years later, before I, I kind of, I think I learned my craft actually on that book. It was really brilliant for learning on because it was such basic storytelling. Um, but it didn't help my career at all. Like nobody read it. Like nobody cared about Superman Adventures at all. It was always just hovering at cancellation point. So, but I loved doing it and I learned so much doing it as well. Um, but I would say my career didn't start till I was 30, you know, till I was doing the authority. I was going to say, you see, the authority was the big breakthrough for you, do you think? Yeah, yeah, literally nobody read any of my stuff until that point. <laughs> and, and, you know, I mean, I, I co-wrote some stuff with Grant and everything, but it was very much kind of his things, really, as opposed to something that was mine, you know? So I, 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 my head was just above the water pretty yeah. much for my entire 20s. I've heard you say that about Swamp Thing, where you would ring up the editor every week and said, how are we doing? How's the sales going? And they say, we're all right still. Keep going. Yeah, yeah. Five, I remember one time Stuart Moore, the editor, said to me, we're 500 copies above cancellation. We're okay. <laughs> 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 that's a so real precarious position to be in isn't it i spent my whole 20s terrified you know like, how can I imagine because <laughs> yeah, it, it was literally the worst time to be breaking in you know but the thing i always kept in the back of my mind was that I, I, you know i was an avid fan of fanzines and reading interviews with pros who were 20 30 years older than me and i remember there was an interview with denny o'neill um and he was this would be mid 80s late 80s and you know post dark night there was this massive interest in batman and he was saying, I can't believe it because 10 years ago, we thought there was going to be no industry and here we are back. And that's when I suddenly thought, oh, this is cyclical, you know? So even in the darkest moments of the 90s, late 90s, I was like, this is cyclical, it'll come back. And it did. Yeah. You know, early yeah. noughties was phenomenal. The whole, that whole decade was incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know we've only got you for a certain amount of time. So what I really wanted to ask you about, Mark, is your writing style. Now, I know you've talked a little bit about it changing recently. Um, I think I think you've said a couple of times you write the ending first now. Yeah. Did you want to just describe how you would approach a series? Yeah. Approach, you know. Yeah. You don't mind. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the, the actual style of writing, um, uh, I, I like to change every couple of years. You know, okay. so like, you know, pe- people always think of me strangely as doing super violent stuff, but you know, when you look at this uh, twenty last twenty years in particular, it flips. You know, because I do like doing that stuff, but at the same time, I like doing stuff that goes completely in the opposite direction I always like to sort of wrong foot the audience so like I remember whenever I got Swamp Thing I wanted to do Superman Adventures and they said oh no he's the horror guy and I was like well I'm going to show them I can do all ages Superman yeah yeah and then authority was so extreme because I'd already been boxed in as the children's writer and I was like well I have to show do more than this you know Mm. so what I did was flip all the time anytime somebody thinks you're going one way it's always good after a couple of years to you know, finish yeah. that project and then go mm. somewhere else entirely. So stylistically, I like to change it up. What happened around about 2013, I just chanced upon a new way of writing scripts and a new way of plotting. And what I used to do was I'd kind of make it up as I was going along. And then I'd often regret something that I'd done earlier and thought, oh, that completely ruins the brilliant way this could end or whatever, you know? And sometimes endings just to feel rushed to me and everything, you know? So what I did was I actually thought, well, how do I avoid a rushed ending? And I started to reverse engineer my stories from the ending. So I would think of my ending. I'd, I'd come up with the concept. I'd come up with some pivotal scenes. And then I'd think, how is this story going to end? 
And what I would do was I'd do it in charts on the wall and work my way backwards from the ending to the beginning. And nobody ever complains about a rushed beginning. If you get the yeah. ending perfect, then everybody's happy when they finish. Yeah. You know, no, nobody even remembers the beginning at that point. So if you know where you're going, it's like at any journey, if you know where you're going, you've actually got a really strong route to that point. Whereas if you don't know where you're going, you're meandering all over the place. Yeah. You're a lot of time. So I found my plots became so much tighter and so much more satisfying uh, then. And then I did another thing around about 2015 was I stopped writing two things at once. I would always write one project at a time. So I would devote myself entirely to this particular project for three months. I do four, four projects a year and I, I give myself 12 weeks and I don't even think about other projects in that time. I just do that one thing. So I, I don't hand it into the artist or anything until the whole project yeah. is complete. So if I do have something in issue two that might be helpful to me in issue five, then I can add it in and there's no rewrites being done, no redrawing or anything, you know? Do you, and that was a loss of focus if you'd work on more than one script uh, at one time. Yeah, you have to get yourself in a headspace. Yes, definitely. And, and and I think if you start handing stuff in in drips and drabs like that, like if you're working on multiple projects, you're always feeding the artist a few pages at a time. And then you're like, oh, that thing's been drawn now and it could be so yeah. much better if I did this. So what I, I do is I hand it over as a manuscript, like a film script almost, you know, and just say, look, that, that's it, it's done. You know? Okay. And I never that's great. Again. Yeah. So how do you find working with the artists around that? Because is there a bit of give and take post that? Do you find that they come back to you and say, what about this and what about that? Or Not really. No, no. no. I, I'm, I'm quite dictatorial, I think. You know, like, I think I think it is so clear in my head that I've got this writing style that is quite dialogue driven, visual and dialogue driven. It's, it's done in story beats. It's quite hard to explain. Warren Ellis writes like this and um, Garth, yeah. uh, I think, the first guy I ever saw do it, which is... It's like frame by frame, you know, so it's, it's very simple to read if you're a comics newbie, but the beats are very, very important. Whereas other people have got something that's more traditional comic book language. Um, but if you mess with the flow of what me or Warren and Garth does, then it can be a problem. If somebody adds in two panels, it could throw the whole page off. Because it's all about right. timing and moments, yeah. then you're saying. Yeah, yeah. The, t- the timing's completely gone. Uh, you know, it's a, very, very occasionally, maybe once every two years, an artist will drop me a line and say, listen, I'm, I could I could combine these two panels or whatever, or, or we could, could we turn this into a splash? And I'll sort of, mm, but if they're right, I'll, I'll go with it. Yeah. So you've really found your groove with this sort of limited series. Sometimes you might continue it into a second series and a third series. Um, is, is that how you're going to stay or do you fancy doing something else? I always like to do something else, you know. Like, yeah. I think as soon as I'm in any kind of groove, I always quite like to go and do something different. You know, like, I mean, like the Ultimates was a license to print money. You know, we, we mm-hmm. were in the top, Marvel's top three for five years or something, six years, uh, however long we were doing that book. And Joe Quesada couldn't believe it when I said, oh, I'm off, I'm going to do other things. And he was like, are you mad? You know, and I went off and I did Civil War and Old Man Logan. And Old Man Logan was really big. And he says, oh, you must do the sequel. And I was like, well, I've kind of done it. I've either yeah. Been. So it's like I've always, when I could capitalize on something, that's when I always jump and go and do something else, which is mm. maybe stupid, you know. But I, I just always like starting up new things and kind of always enjoying it. Never, I never like to stay in something long enough to be bored with it. I mean, you know? have you ever thought? I mean, obviously, comics that you know, the, the the comics are changing. You're always changing. Have yeah. you ever thought about doing like a graphic novel or maybe a YA or whatever? You know, seems to be. Um, why it doesn't appeal to me so much you know yeah. like uh i like graphic novel i think we get the graphic novel with the comic end you know yeah. like yeah uh, 
like Joker's Joker's adding is the Joker with us. He used to say, I don't know why DC does these original graphic novels. I'd rather get paid twice. And, yeah. Because <laughs> the the floppies, the monthly books cover your costs, you know, and then the yeah. graphic novel is pure gravy, you know. So from a publishing point of view, it's fantastic to both. Um, that may change, you know, over time. But then then again, maybe not, you know, because I mean I'm starting to see a resurgence in monthlies again as well. You okay. know? So like Right, it's so, good to know. So, yeah, yeah. Everything chefs all the time, doesn't it? Do you have like a, a bit of a down and dirty underground auto bio or something like that in you? Is, is there that little project that back of your mind you want to, you want to get out there? As a comic book, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it would it would take so long to do as a comic. Um, I think, and it'd be so expensive. You know, to like. It, you, you don't mind paying a thousand dollars a page, whatever you know, to an artist, if you know it, it's going to become a movie and all this kind of stuff. Okay. You know? But but when you're doing your autobio, I don't know, you don't want to spend that kind of money. I think you know. Yeah, <laughs> no. I'd rather just write it as text. Text is free, you know. So I just yeah. write it as <laughs> so. There's no Robert Crumb type thing sitting there somewhere. You know. I think I think it would probably do it as a bit of a mix. I have thought about this. I mean, I've been offered to do it, but I feel as if. Things are just getting interesting, you know, so I think it's not there's a right time to do it. But maybe in 20 years or something like that, mm. I think it'd be fun to do something that's a bit of a mix. Yeah. I've had quite a varied career, you know, I've been involved yeah. in lots of unusual things that are quite fun. And I've only told 10% of the stories, you know. So, like, there's a lot of fun stuff that could end up in an autobiography and have comic elements to it, you know, maybe little chapters that are that are drawn by my friends, like Frank Whiteley or something like that, if they're all still alive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know you've got you've got the best eye for artists for picking them when they're just there, you know, just ready yeah. to pick. Yeah. The um, how do you go about that? Is it have you got like spotters or do you do you read a lot yourself or? Are you kidding? No, I I, I don't trust anyone except me when it comes to right. comic art. Okay. You know, it's like I, I I've loved comics since I was four, right? You know, so I can tell in one panel if somebody's good or if they're going to be good. Like I could just it's like. One of my pals, he's, his father-in-law, he calls the car whisperer, right? And he says that he fixes cars for people and he can tell what's wrong with the car as it's driving into his yard. And he can listen to the car and he knows what's wrong. It's like Sherlock Holmes. He can just say what's up. Yeah. I'm like that with comic book artists. I can just look at it and I can see all the strengths and weaknesses immediately. And, and I love it. There's nothing I love more than looking through art. And my tea break every day. I go on and I look at people's art, people who I'm very familiar with and people who I've just seen on Twitter who look kind of interesting and I'll do a deep dive and look at their stuff yeah. for fun, you know? So I, I just love it. And I know some people are great at some things and all that, you know, and I make a little note and think, well, if I'm ever doing a monster project, nobody can draw monsters like this guy. And seven years down the line, I'll maybe tap that guy up, you know? So so I, I, I just love it. I, I collect original art. I, I'm a huge fan of it, which helps. Yeah. We, I, we've obviously read a lot of your stuff in the last week and reread it, you know, in preparation. And I was sort of beginning to put the dots together. And I was only thinking just the other day, I wonder whether your new hunting ground is a bit of Bond S and A, you know, you're looking over there at some of that. And then I noticed your Magic Order 3 is with, I'll probably get his name wrong here, Gigi Cavanago. I like, you know what, I'm going to start calling him Gigi. Go right. <laughs> what is it then? Gigi, I don't know. <laughs> He's a, isn't he amazing though? Amazing, I mean, he's, yeah, yeah. He's absolutely brilliant. Did you spy him through a Dylan Dog comic or was it? No, well, I mean, I'd seen his stuff in Dylan Dog, but I, I didn't go so deep into his stuff until uh, Matteo Scalera, I think it was, put me onto him. And Teo's a really good friend of mine. We did Space Bandits together, King of Spies and everything. Mm. And he's he he knows my taste exactly, you know, so he put me onto Matteo Bufagni as well. And there's some really great Italian artists out there, like Canada, Brazil, 
and Italy are really punching above their weight okay. in terms of comic book artists. In terms of population and comic book artists, these countries are like amazing right now, you know. Mm. Um, but I really love Gigi's stuff. It's, it's fantastic. And I'd, I'd been thinking of a project for him. He'd be totally wrong for a superhero thing. Like he's, he's, it, it wouldn't play to his strengths at all, but he's amazingly atmospheric and he could do something like Batman. You can see him, which he has done. Um, but real people, it, it makes real people so interesting. I mean, my, my theory is that I love seeing real people drawn with a cartoonish style and I love seeing superheroes drawn with a basic realism. Okay. Uh, okay. Because real people drawn realistically looks too much like real life. Hmm. You know, I think you need a cartoony edge to that stuff to to make it look cool. I see yeah. what you're out there, yeah. I, I think we read him, Dan. Do you remember a couple of years ago in Orphans, that Scout book? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. We really like that series. Yeah, he's yeah. great, yeah. That's on the blocks ready to go, isn't it? Because it seems like Magic Order 2 is only just finished. I've got the issues Yeah, here. Magic yeah. Order 3 starts in July and Magic Order 4 starts in November, I think. You know? so oh, right. He, he, Vicky Ruan, um, who's an Asian artist, uh, who's done some work at Marvel, I, I spotted him. I think he's going to be huge, you know, and I was lucky to spot him actually quite early on at Marvel. And I got in touch with him last year. And as soon as he finished his Marvel gig, we got him signed up, got him doing Magic Order 4. And I'm going to do something else immediately after with him. I mean, this guy is fantastic. He's so good. Oh, that's great, man. Yeah. I have to say... I, I, I also love the poaches as well. You know, there's nothing more fun than a raid on marvel or dc like it's always see as an independent guy now i love doing the poaches and what? like well we'll announce in about two weeks time or something I've, I've, we've got like the two biggest guys that we can get, possibly get our hands on right well now. you can ask us now we're here that's yeah, right <laughs> <laughs> um i actually this is just me being a sort of internet comic sleuth is i actually thought you'd come across Gigi from Fran- <laughs> from francis king in um Who's the character who looks a bit like Dylan Dog? Oh, really? yeah. I th- I, somehow I thought, oh, maybe that's where you. No, okay, that, that's actually really coincidental because there was an actor who had sent a photograph of um, to Stuart to use as the basis for um, for Francis King. But weirdly, now you mention it, he does look like Dylan Dog. But yeah, that's a total coincidence. Oh, cool. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, he does look like. Um, who's the character who plays him in Dela? Actor in Dela More, Dela Morte. I can't think of the name. The guy's name. Um, he looks. He does look a bit like him. I think. Yeah. Um, it was young Rupert Everett. I guess. That's right. Him. Yeah, that's who it is. Yeah. Um, so one of the other things about your writing is, Mark. I know you have this um, reputation um, for being, you know, bombastic, big blockbuster movies, as King of Spies was, which we very much enjoyed. But is there is there are there layers to it? And I I picked out a few themes that I thought I might mention. Um, so we've got King of Spies. We see PTSD. Uh, we see sort of the, the 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 wilderness years of a character, and then in Magic Order we also see a similar theme to those, as well yeah. as addiction as well. Is that something yeah. you go in thinking right? I'm going to do this big blockbuster, but I want to touch on these themes as well. Uh, not really. No, I'll let the story just tell itself. What's interesting actually, because I hadn't made the connection, but because those were written about three years apart. Oh, okay. And then I've maybe done ten other projects in between those two projects. But it's quite interesting. I hadn't thought about that. They both came out around the same time. So it's interesting those themes you could draw. But like, uh, yeah, in between that, I'll have done loads of other stuff. So, so yeah, I, know, I mean, I wish I could say that I do, but I actually just let the story tell itself. You know, it's, <laughs> the, 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 Stephen King's got a brilliant description of it, but he says it's like archaeology, writing a, a piece of fiction, that the story is complete and already exists, and you have to try and bring it to the surface without breaking it, dusting away at it. Ah, okay. And, and, and so I never go in trying to be clever. I just think, okay, what's this story then? Yeah. 
with in relation to just a quick one about magic order can i pitch you to do a kevin mitchell series who's by far my favorite character in it <laughs> clearly named after the mitchell brothers there's no doubt in my mind you know it's you know, you know funny i was at a, a school dinner right i was at a school dinner about five years ago or something and they needed a prize it was a charity thing and everybody was handing in kind of cool prizes and i thought well you know naming a character after somebody is pretty cool ah, right. so the guy who won it, it was uh, was a my dentist and his name is kevin mitchell you know <laughs> As that's where the name came from. The missing brothers. Prior. Yeah, <laughs> you'll fix your car as well. It's fine. I say I got all the time in the world for the uh, story of the the old uh, badass coming out of retirement to kind of kick some ass, and that's essentially King of Spies. I mean, we had it in uh, Old Man Logan as well, but yeah. it's one of those kind of themes and stories that just God, I, I just can't get enough of them. I I, I love them so much. Does that yeah, speak to our age? Do you think? Like, what is it you, you like? You think people like about that? You know, because even, even when you're 15, like when I read Dark yeah. when I was 16, it was still exciting. So it's not yeah. interesting, isn't it? I don't know. It's hard to quantify why that why that theme just seems so kind of. I, I mean, it goes along with that base idea of kind of revenge and kind of getting back at the people kind of who done you wrong. But yeah. when it's the old, the older kind of uh, professional getting back into the game. Yeah. It's, there's such a hook to it that it's yeah. kind of irresistible. Yes. And somebody who was once excellent, being mm. excellent again, is, is you know, when he's underestimated, it's always really exciting. I wonder if it's the flip side of the Peter Parker archetype, or, you know, like where, you know, at school he's underappreciated, but then you realise how cool he really is. I wonder if it's playing into the same thing, you know, where it's somebody who looks at the past that, yeah. Suddenly, actually being awesome, and you're as excited as Peter Parker using these powers for the first time. Maybe it's a bit of that. You know? It's interesting. Yeah. I mean, like you say, kind of when you get older, you can certainly appreciate the kind of uh, that character and that take. But yeah. like you said, even reading uh, Dark Knight when I was uh, a younger kid, yeah. that theme of like the 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 Batman coming back was just yeah. great. Yeah, loved it. And it doesn't even have to be someone famous. I, I was watching Quick in the Dead again recently. It's one of my favourite films. I love, oh, it. I love it. Yeah. You know, that, you know the bit where Russell Crowe hasn't picked up a gun in ten years and everything. You know, and like, and it's the last four minutes of the film or something. But they throw him guns and he takes down everyone. Yeah. And it's so exciting. A guy who has been denied violence. Yeah. Getting to be violent again. I don't know why, but it just it worked. There's that whole scene it's when amazing, he goes into yeah. the, the the gun shop and he's going for the guns and you can see he's kind of like the interest he's trying to deny yeah that he he really wants he, he's kind of denying this for himself it's great yeah it's great yeah. Yeah. So yeah i do love that film yeah and the, the clocking the ticking clock and oh. the bullet the light shining through the bullet hole and yeah yeah great oh, yeah, great. yeah. And well nobody talks about it it's as if that film never existed isn't it yeah yeah you know you can't buy it in a dvd shop anymore like you can't you can't get it in hmv or anything like, really online, yeah. i had to get mine off of ebay how did you yeah yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, well, that leads us suitably into King of Spies. Um, now, I promised you I would tell you who I think should play it, other than Brosnan. I know you're in love with him as okay. as the character. I, I want. I would like to see Branner play it. Kenneth Branagh. You know, he's a very likable man. Everybody likes Branagh. You know. Yeah. Hmm. And and he's done physical before. He did physical with Frankenstein and all that as well. Yeah. You know? He's Wallander. He's very good. You know, the older sort of does detective. He so, uh, does he throw a punch? I think so. Yeah. 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 Yeah, you've got to buy him. You've got to buy him jumping off roofs and things. You've got yeah. to buy Rana jumping off the roof. That's my only worry, you know. Yeah, I get yeah. you. Yeah, I get you. Yeah, Belfast was amazing. Have you seen it? 
I haven't yet. No, oh, no. So I, I had a choice between Death on the Nile and Belfast as my Branagh movie for that night in the cinema, Hate and I went Death on the Nile. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> I said, the concept of uh, King of Spies of like the, the older Bond uh, is just is so simple, but so kind of great it resonates it kind of it doesn't tell itself you know what i mean but you, that concept sells itself it's yeah. uh the cover of that uh, the cover of issue four you know is just that's the movie poster for me do you know what i mean yeah. that's just yeah amazing yeah. yeah does it so it came from a conversation you had with i'm going to say matthew vaughan about bond being boring is that right no 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 that was kingsman kingsman, kingsman. oh okay oh, right. okay. Yeah. okay no this, this actually came from a conversation with ridley scott not to oh, name right. drop, right? yeah. and it was about ten years ago. Chrono, the, the book I did, Chrononauts, came from the same conversation as well. Right. Okay. And what it was was um, Ridley and Tony were doing. Um, it was a series of short movies with young filmmakers, and uh, they wanted to uh, find the stars of tomorrow, kind of thing. Mm. And I can't remember who was funding it, but basically there was ten or twelve of us, I think, who were going to be given a hundred grand each to make a ten-minute film. And you had to tell a complete story in 10 minutes. And also that was you being a producer as well. So you'd be hiring the actors, the sets, everything, you know, the cameras. And I was like, oh my God, you know, because you realize how quickly money can disappear. You know, that hundred grand goes quite fast, even a, a short thing, like 10 minutes. So I came up with an idea of getting, Timothy Dalton was who I had in my mind, right? And basically just giving him 95 grand of it, right? You know, to try and get him. And him sitting in a gentleman's club as an old man, reminiscing about being Britain's greatest secret agent. And I thought it'd be quite a cool little 10 minute. Oh God, yeah, cool yeah. Alan Bennett's talking head, you know, doing it a bit yeah. like that, but it's just him talking. And he's a proper thesp. I mean, he's a really brilliant actor, Timothy Dalton. Yeah. Mm. It was about 10 years ago, so he'd be mid-60s or something at the time. So be kind of, there's no action or anything. It's just him talking about his life and his regrets and messing everything up. So the idea came from then back in 2012, I think that was. Okay. Um, and it was always in the back of my mind. And then the big budget version of it is this. Okay. So I know, I've also heard you say that Roger Moore was your favourite Bond. Yeah, I love Roger Moore. Yeah. yeah. And what was your favourite? Was it The Spy Love Me? Well, that was the first one I ever saw in the right. cinema. You know? So, yeah. so I, I just couldn't believe this existed. And then my mum was like, you know, there's another nine of these or something. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so it was amazing. It's like, uh, it's like, imagine you discovered Marvel with Endgame and then you found out yeah. 20 years of this stuff back then. Yeah, it's interesting reading. Uh, I can't remember who we were talking about, but with Doctor No, where there's a sequence where uh, Bond's waiting up for the assassin to come into this room, and he, he shoots him in cold blood. And apparently, like, the audiences were like, kind of aghast in the cinema at the time because yeah. this heroes didn't do this, yeah. and it was oh, that was an amazing reaction. Yeah, well, it was funny. The sixties was a bit like that, wasn't it? Because the man with no name subverted the John Wayne archetype, didn't it? You know, and and the spy you know, was pretty heroic in 30s and 40s cinema, mm. I think, you know. Um, it was somebody who was working, a secret agent working on behalf of the government. But to see them doing a little bit of what they actually do, that must have been so radical at the time. Yeah, yeah. I remember the first novel I read in the Bond, you know, books was Moonraker, which is just a right. sort of movie adaption. You know, it was the, the movie adaption version. And then my parents bought me the other ones, which were sort of sexy ladies sitting on model guns and things. And I'm like, oh, yeah. my God, what is this? You know, <laughs> it was like 12 yeah. <laughs> is that before you saw the movies? Did you read yeah, the yeah. Before I saw Moonraker, I read the book. Yeah, it's a bit bizarre. That's bizarre. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, how did you meet Matteo? Because I'm guessing is he Brazilian? Is he? He's Italian. Italian, so, rather, probably. Okay. Yeah. So, um, had he been to London or? No, we, we, we've still never met in the flesh. Actually. Oh wow! Okay, right. Um, but 
Space Bandits, I was looking for an artist. And the guy that um, I had in mind was Matteo from the beginning, because I he's one of those guys who I'd seen his work about five years earlier and thought, note to self, this guy's amazing, do something with him. And he just seemed right. It was, you know, those weird things, it's like casting in a movie. You just think, well, this guy's perfect for this. Mm. So I was waiting for the project that was suitable for him. It was lots of crazy landscapes and everything, you know, and he just seemed so bang on for it. And I loved him in the first pages that came in were just perfect. And I know we'll, we'll work together in some capacity for the rest of our lives. You know, we really enjoy working together. Oh, cool. Because Space Bandits uh-huh. is very different, isn't it? It's, it's, uh... Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, one's completely outlandish and the other one's grounded in that sort of hyper-realism. Did, um, did you have to send him... Had he been to London and had to walk down Whitehall and... You know. We only had one. I think it was he struggled a little bit. I think he said towards the end of the first issue where you had the interiors of like gentlemen's clubs. Okay. And, um, yeah. And, and you know the, the streets. Uh, I sent him a couple of references, but I'm I'm actually so lazy, you know, that I, I was like Matthew, I'm going to send you loads of great stuff, and I sent him like three pages or something. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I think he did, he did the rest himself. But the thing was quite international after issue one. Issue one, is it kind of moved on elsewhere. Yeah. Um, so he was able to kind of do Paris and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and then we get to go back to it, don't we? No spoilers, because mm. we'll have to do that again. But yeah, yeah, yeah back here at the end. Yeah, no, it's amazing. We we were taken by issue one. Um, and it was our the book of last year. But the, just I've heard you talk a bit about it as well as having that smaller opening compared to the ending. But that's yeah. a big opening as well. You went with, isn't it? You know, it is, and that one does slightly subvert that. But it looks right. like it's going to be a huge ending, doesn't it? But I guess it has the big payoff. But yeah. where you would normally have a big action scene at the end, you're right. Yeah, the action is more predominant at the beginning, isn't it? So what I had instead was the big, the big, big, big action was between issues three and four, mm. which was that big fight scene with the yeah, thing, yeah. You know? And that that's a very extended action sequence. For I, I would normally not go beyond about six pages or so for an action sequence, and that one must go on for about eighteen or something. There's quite a lot to it yeah. because it's two issues, so you kind of get that sense of escalation there and then what comes next really relies on you having a satisfying payoff because it's less action but it's a good payoff so you yeah yeah satisfied by the end i was honestly really anxious after finishing the third i was like how is this going to finish on four because i was like i don't think it's going to just keep ramping up action 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 bigger set pieces but there's this ending and oh god you really landed it i, yeah. I really enjoyed it because really i well read done. it before you and all you all the messages from me from you to me was saying don't tell me what happens but did it work and yeah i think <laughs> i said it landed it landed fine. yeah and i was like yes. yeah 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 so it's, <laughs> it. it's because i wrote the end in the first exactly there you go. Yeah. <laughs> i think that's I'll, I'll be taking that on with my my writing is that building it up and not having your 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 first scene what action scene overshadowing like the the last as it were uh that's that's a really nice bit of advice that yeah well so somebody somebody told me the screenplay they dread i forget it was one of my friends that works at fox or something back in the day said we got this amazing screenplay in and it's like these guys raid the white house and uh they kidnap the president they throw the president in the helicopter and they shoot off after killing everybody and inside the helicopter like they pull off these the human masks and they've all got monkey faces right <laughs> and, and I was like, this sounds amazing. I said, what happens after that? And they said, oh, it's rubbish after that. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, it's good to have a good beginning, but if your beginning is better than your end, you're in trouble. Yeah. I think that's uh, that 28 days or 28 weeks later, the sequel. Yeah. He's got a bit of front with a start with Robert Carlyle and the house gets raided and he's running, he jumps on the boat. That overshadows, for me, everything yeah. else that comes after it because that's yeah. so strong. 
yeah. Well, speaking about the monkey head thing as well, is that's what happens in, is it Return to the Planet of the Apes? Where at the start, the the, the, the spacemen come out of the spaceship in 70s New York that's and they take their helmets and their monkeys. And then the rest of the movie, they sort of go to cocktail parties and stuff. And <laughs> yeah, it's like... <laughs> but I think quite often some a pitch that you'll hear is just the opening, you know, the, it's rare that you're even listening by the end of a pitch, you know, because it takes an hour to, to hear it all, you know. So people usually, when they're talking about something, come in with a great opening, and that can sometimes be enough to get some, some momentum behind it, you know. Mm, yeah, yeah. But I can see why they do front-load things, but it doesn't always make the best films. You know? Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. Mm. So speaking of um, IPs and, you know, pre-existing things, is there anything that... I know you don't want to do a Bond film. I've heard you say that. You wouldn't want to do it. But is there any anything you would do? Do you know what? I take every day as it comes. I really do. Mm. You know, so like, I mean, I, I never anticipated doing creator owns, you know, my own, my own material. I, I never anticipated that at all. I always saw the ultimate objective to be doing DC work. Right, you know, Batman, I mean, yeah. I was yeah. A teenager, in my 20s, even. And it was only once I got there, it was like climbing to the top of a mountain and being like, well, I'm not a good fit for this place. Mm. In terms of the company itself, it didn't really suit my personality. Marvel, I was much less of a fan of, but. I loved the guys and I, I actually really fitted the culture of the place. It, it really yeah. worked. Everything I did at Marvel worked really well. Um, so you, but you just never know. I mean, everything can change overnight, you know? So in five years time, 10 years time or something like that, I might have a great Justice League story or something like that. Mm. Right one. But, yeah. but I always kind of, I, I just, you got to look at the corporate environment, you know, and my, my, my theory is always just work where you're happy, whatever you're having a good time. And I'm at Netflix now as an executive on staff. And I, I really enjoy it. You know, it's really good fun. In ten years' time, I could be somewhere entirely different. Who knows? I, I have to say, I just as an anecdote, I did love the story you told about pretending to be David Mamet and emailing Brian Bendis. <laughs> that was fucking genius. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny because I actually had, I've got about twenty of those. By the way, there was it was one. You know, whenever when the internet was relatively new. Uh, right about the year of 1999-2000 everybody just believed if an email came in from yeah. something, you just believed it you didn't yeah. realize that somebody could put david mamet at hotmail.com <laughs> and fake it you know so i i got about 20 of my friends with loads of, in the comics industry with loads of little pranks like that and i've got them all sitting there waiting to be published someday. <laughs> <laughs> again that autobio comic <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um you did Kapow for a couple of years, which was great. I love Kapow. Really good. Have you got any plans to do anything? I know you do stuff in your local town, don't you? Yeah. Um, have you got plans to do anything else like that? Like a comic convention? In my yeah. Local yeah, we, we did one. I didn't want to do it every year, though, because I thought it doesn't seem that special, you know? Okay. Like, mm -hmm. Kapow, um, I mean, I like my wife and I, we put our own cash into it, you know, and I think we lost about 50 grand or something on the first oh, wow. one. And, okay. And, but I think we might have broke even on the First, no, one of them we lost 50 grand on, I can't remember. Okay. Um, but I actually just loved it, you know, like yeah. it, it was a total labor of love. We'd funded it entirely ourselves. We got a tiny little bit of sponsorship. Like I think the bags were paid for by Forbidden Planet or something right. like that. You know, and uh, somebody put something towards one of the screens or whatever, but it was hugely expensive to run. The thing that was crazy was um, the specifications. If you have a movie studio coming down to show Spider-Man or something like this, we needed to rent um, the screen and sound equipment and one particular technician who was an expert in it or the studio wouldn't allow 
the preview of the film to be shown because they wanted it to be under the best possible specs. Right. I think there was one one thing was seventy five thousand pounds. One screen for one day was seventy five thousand pounds they had, and I was like, why did we make this a film thing and not just a comic thing? You know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. nothing. You know. So I mean, it was hugely expensive, and we never did it to make money. We did it just for the pure love of it. And I'd felt for a long time there hadn't been any big glamorous comic shows. You know, there's the big big shows that are a bit of everything, a bit of wrestling, a bit of anime, and all that kind of thing. But I thought I wanted to get all my pals in one place again mm. and get some big American guests over and everything and do it in a really nice location like Islington, which yeah. is lovely, you know, in the, the hall in Islington that we used. Um, but time-wise, it was just so much. And then, you know, work-wise, things just became too chaotic. You know, I was working on multiple films and yeah. comics and everything at the same time. So we did it for two years and then we shelved it. And then we did a tiny little one in my hometown in my old primary school um, the year before COVID. And it was brilliant. It was really fun. I basically called in loads of favors from pals, got guys to show up and just sit and draw pictures for the kids in my old neighborhood. And it was fantastic. It was an absolute riot. Like I, I bought a hundred foot inflatable Spider-Man, which I still have. I've got it in the garage <laughs> just to put up outside the place and everything. And we had the Batmobile and the, the Back to the Future car and all the Harry Potter's car and everything all sitting in my old school yard. Um, so it was just magical because I think my, I associate that neighborhood with comic books so heavily because that's where I discovered comic books and it's where I used to play the characters with my yeah. So to see it all coming back into my neighborhood was actually amazing. Like guys from Marvel were in my primary school and I, I remember just thinking this, there's something that completes the circle a little bit. Yeah, oh. it must have been quite surreal that. Yeah, oh, really yeah. and what I loved is all the kids um, really got into it as well and, and a lot of them want to be comic book artists so, I mean it's funny you know that's a Beatles thing where a band like the Beatles appears and then you get a hundred people influenced by it or a thousand people influenced by it and it's the same thing Alan Moore breaking into American comics influenced two generations of, of yeah. British mm. comic book fans because you suddenly thought this is actually possible you don't need to live in the tri-state area to, to do yeah. this job um, and similarly, you know, all these wee guys now, I see them all the time online. You know, their mums put up pictures of Spider-Man. That's great, man. Yeah. So I kind of love the idea of it continuing on for a new generation. Yeah, yeah cool. definitely. Yeah. And before we let you go, just two questions. So the, your role at um, Netflix is, I know I've heard you talk about this, is to make television programmes and movies. But you've also the- back worked it so that you make comics as well. Yeah. So that was your, almost your insistence. Is that right? Yeah, they, they were kind of like, why? You know, like whenever because I sold, I sold the company to them in uh, 2017, uh, August, and they, they said, well, we'd like you as part of this to come on and produce the films, you know, be a producer on the films and run this department, you know. So Middle World covers film and television and Netflix uh, because we've got, you know, different franchises in both. And to work on the sequels, you know, so for example, something like Empress, they've got the first movie, but they didn't have two or three and I've got three plans, you know, so they want to be exclusive within Netflix to sort of write the scriptment for those, but then get passed on to the screenwriters and we, we interview the screenwriters okay. and that's what television shows as well. And then we pick the best possible guys and get them to kind of write these and then start looking at directors. Um, so I said, well, yeah, but where's the comics and all this? And they were like, what are you talking about? And I was like, but that's what I do, you know, like, yeah. like I, I never saw comics as a stepping stone to Hollywood. I yeah. see Hollywood as an incredibly useful thing and that I love doing as well, you know, but it's also great for your comics and great for creators. But like, um, but I never saw it as an escape route or anything. Mm. For me, it was really important. And they, they saw it as an eccentricity. They said, well, 
okay, if you're going to do it, you have to do it with the best artists in the world. And I was like, that's fine by me, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's the problem. <laughs> that I could just pay more than Marvel or DC and just get yeah. anyone I wanted at Marvel or DC to come and do these things. Well, my next question from that would be, have you ever considered asking them to stream comics on their site? Is that something they would ever consider? I think comics just isn't part of their business plan. You know, okay, like, yeah. it's, it's, it's more just um, they, they do it because they know I love it. And they're really, they're really nice to me. You know, like, I mean, mm. I really like working with them. And anytime I ask for something, they tend to kind of be nice enough to do it, you know. Um, I think it would cost so much to set up for so little material. Yeah. You know, they're quite slow. I only do maybe 18 comics a year, going back 20 odd years. Yeah. Um, so the idea of like setting up a whole new system would just cost so much money. I think, okay. you know, yeah. I think if there was a hundred of me, maybe it'd be worth it. You know? <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Probably not worth it. Okay. Cool. <laughs> yeah. And the last one, which I'll, I'll drop on your toes a bit, is you have to choose one character that you've created. Yeah. Who would it be? As the best one? Your favourite. Not Yeah, your favourite. Uh, my my favourite? Uh, well, that's a good question. Um, do you know what? I, I do like them all. You know, it's quite... Yeah. <laughs> I think a, a, a franchise or a character? Uh, well, either. Let's go either. Yeah. yeah. Well, Duke, Duke McQueen I like as a character. I really like Duke McQueen from Starlight, which is yeah. my kind of spaceman kind of hero. You know, I really, he's a very likable character. Yeah. Joe Cornish delivered the second draft of the screenplay recently for oh that, wow you know? cool and, and it's fantastic joe's going to direct it as well oh, brilliant. Um, it's absolutely brilliant and and i think i'm quite excited about that just now because i just read the screenplay as a franchise maybe the magic order i really like the magic order i think it, it really works jupiter's legacy is actually a, a, a bit of a passion project the final five issues of that still to be published i've got mm. them in the drawer um i love doing that it's everything i wanted to say about superheroes and a big grand epic, you know. But again, I mean, this makes me sound like a narcissist because I'm, 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 they're all they're all really good. You know? Yeah. So it's, with, with Jupiter's Legacy, is it going to be the last, the newest, most up to recent bit of it, or is it? I call it the Wilfredo Torres era. Is it going to be the Frank Quietly or the Will? What we've got is the Jupiter's Legacy takes place over three years. So the Wilfredo kind of era is the past. That's yeah. the First two volumes. Frank Quietly is the next two volumes, and then the final two volumes is the Tommy Lee Edwards era. Okay. You know? Yeah, we've published right. half of them so far, and we've still got the final half of that. Yeah, too. okay, okay, I see. But it's it's like ten years worth of work in amongst other projects. But as a six volume thing, I don't think there's anything I'm happier with. It just hangs together really, really yeah. well. Please with it. The ending is a beaut, which I obviously don't verse. Yeah, good. <laughs> yeah, because that's a long one, isn't it? That's a long, uh, <laughs> a long look forward. Yeah, yeah. Oh, brilliant. Okay, Mark. Thanks for that, man. That's really kind of you. To yeah, come cheers, on. Mark. Um, Thank you. Well, we'll start the clock ticking for the next two thousand one hundred and eighteen days. <laughs> <laughs> I've got it written on my post-it note. <laughs> so, wasn't it? That was so much. Uh, I enjoyed that so much. It was a great moment, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. If we don't, know, comic- we'd even have a meeting to discuss what we're going to ask him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we were messaging each other during the weeks then. Tony said, oh, we're going to do this, can do that. And then, yeah, God, we was prepping a lot. I, I probably listened to five podcasts, watched about three YouTube videos, you know, it's yeah. a good eight hours of listening. <laughs> into that, I watched the, yeah. listened to the Bond one and the Kayfabe one, and both of them were absolute Kayfabe gems. Kayfabe was great, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. I like the bit in Kayfabe where he shows you the secret corridor he discovered in his house. That was great. <laughs> lovely. This is a lovely house. But he, yeah. Mark put a question to me and oh, yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't answer it. I still can't. But the, the the popularity of the 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 old 
hero, the old gunslinger coming back in, into action from retirement and why that's such an endearing kind of story and trope and an idea. I've been, I've been thinking about this a lot because I know it got put to you particularly, didn't it, Dan, during the interview? And yes. You, you weren't actually, we couldn't really put into words at the time, no. but I think there's a number of reasons for me. And I think, you know, having a character who is relatable, like Spider-Man was great for mm. us as kids as well. But yeah. I also like to know that my protagonists or heroes, what you're going to call them, I got a bit of experience and they can kick mm. your ass and yeah. they know what they're doing. And, you know, looking up to that guy who's got that knowledge and life experience. And I kind of, I just like that, you know, he's got, often they'll have a heavy heart when they. Mm. Um, it's I almost looking up to that. kind of like a, a father figure of sorts. I suppose kind of, so. Yeah. And you, they've kind of got a certain amount. Maybe it's a societal thing. mystery you look about up them to, sometimes. Yeah. yeah. An older person who's highly skilled in what they do. And there's always kind of, I'd like to think there's always a level of respect and yeah. So yeah, it's always when, when you look up to the, you know, the old cop or the old, you know, army guy who's been there and done it and they tell a story in a pub and you, you and know, you you, you know yeah. yeah. By it. yeah. 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 Cause I would say not so much just because I'm sort of a middle-aged bloke that I enjoy those stuff. I remember watching Unforgiven reading Dark Knight Returns yeah. years ago and just like, we kids. I'm, 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 there, I'm here for this. Yeah, because they know more than you know. And, you know, even yeah. anything you can think of, you know, where, you know, watchmen, where they're working their way through it and you're following them because they, you know, they're clever dudes and, you know, yeah. they've got experience. You know, they know that what they're doing and fuck me. They learn something. And yeah. just realized they use it in Dragon's Claws, the first issue of that. Right. Dragon's Claw, the main geezer dragon, he's like a an ex pro player of that game who gets, yeah. comes out of retirement. I, I don't like, think, I don't think it's always um, down to like the age of a main character either. I think it's just that, that mythic structure of a legendary warrior from whatever that we don't need to see. It's the Beowulf. Mm. The stories of Beowulf before he he hits that village because so many people have talked about all these amazing things he's done. Some of it could be nonsense. But by the time he turns up, you already think he's just the ultimate badass. You've got to set the character up. And the way I always think they do it so well, I know it's not comics, but in Enter the Dragon, it opens with Bruce Lee doing the somersault and telling that dude, don't look at the finger, you know, look where it's pointing that hard. Yeah. I can't remember the exact words. But, you know, you think, right, fucking hell, this dude knows what he's talking about. Yeah. Don't concentrate on the finger or you'll miss yeah. all the heavenly glory. That's right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's just setting people up like that. So, you, yeah, I like it. And I think that's part and parcel of it, you know, whether it be John Wayne or Logan or, mm-hmm. you know, Wolverine or whoever it might yeah. be. Or, there's, there's you know, a, King of there's a, lot, there's a lot to be said for, like, the stuff that you don't see. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Just just the whole oh this person took down twenty people in in five minutes, you know, yeah. and it's just a st- and immediately you just think Jesus, you know. When you look at something, you think he's got a fucking dark past. Mm. Mm. You know what I mean? It's it's yeah. it's you want to yeah. find out about it, don't you? You're yeah. interested in it. And like for instance, in King of Spies, it's I mean, you, you there's a couple of like flashback moments, just just like yeah. one panel or something like that, but it doesn't tell you anything because you just know, you know, it it, it doesn't over describe everything because you kind yeah. of you get the idea you it there's a reality to him as well and i think i think that comes over really well in man uh, king of spies is the bit where he can't quite manage it with that lady yeah yeah and i, I don't know why i just think that makes him so much realer it is so know? much more relatable because like you've gone from this kind of stallion of a man in his youth and then he goes to this and it's like it's this can't and also, it's pointing it. an arrow. No spoilers, because we I had to cut that bit out of the interview. But it's also pointing an arrow towards the end of the yeah. story, you know, mm. and as to whether there'll be a sequel. It's know. interesting because like Miller like uses so much 
of the the weight and the, the not the bad the good baggage that Bond brings with it to sort of like is a shorthand into that character yeah. straight away. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't think it needs a sequel. I, I think I don't want it. To, I don't want, want one. I want that end. That's yeah, yeah. That's and, I, and I don't. I don't want a prequel. No, I, I, no, I want to. I want a hardback to sit on my yeah. shelf. Yeah, and that's what I want out of it. Maybe, yeah. maybe some lovely back matter about like some sketches and some a nice de- details, six so. episode TV series as well to complement it that done yeah. is done well. Fine yeah. by me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd pretty much any kind of character when you take him to the, their old age and come back. I always find that an interesting premise when when yeah. done well. Uh, I can't think of many characters I wouldn't like to see kind of aged up and yeah. see their, their their last run as it were. Have you seen the new Kingsman yet? No. That's, yes, that's the prequel. Yeah, there's a yeah. bit of that in that. So Ralph Fiennes is like an yeah, older dude. And yeah. at the end, he's the fucking ultimate dude. Yeah. But he's yeah. Sort of essentially all the way through it, and I don't want to do this. I don't want I've to got come a wooden, back. You know, my yeah, leg's but... killing me. And at yeah. the end, he's like, fucking, he kicks ass. Yeah. yeah. That is just utterly a fun film, man. I just loved that so much. I had the best time watching that. I think you came off of Batman, didn't you? You weren't, a mad, you weren't mad on Batman. Yeah, I wasn't a fan of that. And and then I thought, you know, which is just a close-up of Batman's eyes and people swilling about in pig shit for the whole fucking movie. And then, <laughs> the, and, and then I watched that and it cheered me up. Yeah. I think we're going to have to put it to the Slack group, like what, what their uh, feedback was on the... They're fairly honest about what they like and what they don't like on there, aren't they? It's none yeah. of this sort of... Uh, sorry, I mean oh, no, about the... Say... the... The Millar stuff, the uh, the old man, the old oh yeah, that'd be interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there's a lot more sort of learned people on there than us three. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, get their feedback. Well, essentially, no, no, it doesn't. You don't have to be learned. You don't have to be um, yeah of any sort. It's just why why do you like it? I like it because it's just fucking awesome. And that's why trying to to get to the nub of it. Yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think he's trying to he's trying to make a fun read, and that's what he does. And we talked a little bit to him about themes and stuff. Yeah. We actually had to cut a bit of that because there was a spoiler in there. But uh, and he says he says it is part of it, but it's not what he's really going for. You know, it mm. just comes as part of the story. Yeah. You know, yeah. he doesn't set out to do a comic on PTSD, yeah. for example. You know, it's just. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I I like love characters that that have a bit of backstory where the reader fills in the blanks. You just give them a little bit, yeah. and then the reader yeah, the mystery adds to it. Yeah. Look what reasons... happened to Wolverine when we found out who he was. Oh, that yeah, that's totally. Don't talk don't to me do about that. him. Don't talk to me about yeah. him. He's boring <laughs> that's one it. thing you did not need to do and then you go and do it and you've just destroyed it it's yeah. Yeah. it was for the it was for the knee jerk oh we finally find out who he is sales peak yeah. you know yeah. that will last a couple of weeks yeah. yeah yeah you sort of burn it up for that slight slight flash of brilliance and then oh, it seems to be comic so doesn't it you know yeah, yeah. i mean same way as the rebooted issue one don't really need a joker origin like i know there's several oh, but those. just we yeah, don't yeah. don't need it we don't need that. Yeah. But anyway, it was really good. Yeah, we yeah, had a, really a enjoyed time. it. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think I think to be fair, Mark put us at our ease because we were a bit like, right, okay, right, right, proper organized, yeah. proper prepared, yeah. you know. And he was so friendly. Just we were chatting fine. comics. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I so, couldn't stop gushing about it for the next couple of days. <laughs> the bit where brilliant. he's got there's two people he's been after or something, and I say, Well, we're here. <laughs> I love that man. That made me laugh. <laughs> So, um, from that to um, some more uh, comic creators and stuff we're going to talk about before we... Yeah. yeah so, we'll get to the shout-out section of the show. Got an extensive um, shout-out section. Yes, yeah. yes. I think uh, we've got one big one to sort of finish it off with. I think we should do that last, Tony. Have we got any other okay, shout-outs yeah, uh, shout before we... Um... Yeah, I've got a couple. Um, yeah. Drink and draw. Absolute cracking time. 
really funny installment of our drink and draws. Thanks to everyone who came along on Friday, and thanks particularly to uh, thanks to Tom for hosting, and thanks particularly to Cole Henley for our caricatures. Uh, he yeah, drew I saw some of them; they look fantastic. Yeah, yeah, I think he captured me quite well there. Yeah, um, it was a really funny one. Thanks to everyone; really good laugh. Um, and also uh, John Otway, who we all know is probably not a murderer. I'd say probably the uh, get well soon because he's not very well. So he didn't mention making, which is one of the few. Oh shit! Yeah, so get well soon, John. Um, our buddy Kieran Squires, who, who's always there. Um, he's got a Patreon. He's just started up. I've just signed up for it. Um, he's a really good cartoonist, man. You want to see what he's doing? He's done this thing today that um, really shows motion in an image. I'm really impressed with it. It's, it's very good. Um, I, I signed up. I think the tier one team gets a quid. You know, oh, which is good. always a good one. Um, yeah, it's re- it's really good. So have a look for. I'm sorry to keep talking because I've got to get the fucking name which I'm written down. Um, For Kieran's one, yeah, yeah. I think is, is Kieran running a strip on there? I think he, he mentioned that doing a. Uh... I think he's just sort of organising it. He was okay. At the moment. I'm just very, very good though. Thank you for that. While well, I try and figure out, figure out what no it's called. Um, uh, Kig O Doodles, K I G O D O O D L E S. So Kig uh, Kig O Kygo K I G O and then Doodles. Um, yeah, so sign up for that. It's really good. Um, congratulations to Ian Ashcroft, as it's finally been announced that he is working on the new Hellbreaker graphic novel with Hat Mills. Mm. Um, and also, certainly a member of this podcast, maybe helping out with some of the design on it. Saucily. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, very excited. So I've managed, I've had a little look behind the curtain and fucking hell, Ian's next level again. You should see it. Wait till you see it. It's mm. fucking brilliant. I really liked the cover art. It was like... That was yeah. absolutely fantastic too. Yeah. yeah. Um, then these, um, he's, I think it's coloured. I think he's colouring it this time, which should be interesting. Um, <clears throat> do you want to do yours for our go into the app I was going to recommend, guys? Have you two yeah. got anything? Uh, yes, I do have one. Yeah, go on. Yeah. My one is for, uh, I've just clicked the wrong fucking button. Uh, I have to come back to that. Uh, it's for uh, Damsel in Distress. Oh, yes. Okay. Got, uh, is it Andrew from- Clemson? Yeah. Isn't yeah, an elves and espionage comic book written by Andrew Clemson with art by Mauricio Mora and lettering editing by Hassan Ottomain Elahu. Um, apologies if yeah. I uh, don't spell it anymore. Campaign is for the final two issues, four and five of volume one, wrapping up the first arc of the opening of the story. Uh, we're going on to further adventures. Uh, how could you kind of describe this? It's kind of like uh, swords and sorcery fantasy. With a sort of spy element to it. With, it? Yeah, with a kind of spy element to it. It's a very interesting take. Uh, mm. Lovely art, fantastic colouring. Uh, yeah, I've, yeah, I've yeah really I'm a big it. fan of it. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a good fun series. And, like, you know, Andrew knows what he's doing in terms of Kickstarters and stuff. So it's, Yeah, um, you're, you're back at your yeah. book. Is yeah. that started now, then, is it? The, it's running now, the campaign. Oh, is it? Okay. Uh, we've got another 30 days to go. Uh, it's absolutely smashed his target, as I'd imagine it would have, it would have done. And yeah. so, yeah, go check that out. Yeah. Cool. Um, now go to uh, Lawless Comic Con. Um, oh yeah, twenty eighth and 29th of May this year, twenty twenty two. We'll the be double, there on the Saturday. Double yes. Tree by Hilton Hotel Bristol is a two day um, convention. Couple of, a couple of weeks ago, we talked. We had a special Lawless chat, and uh, yeah, you can get your tickets as a guest list of uh, great two thousand AD creators and and beyond, and some indie creators as well. So if you go to lawlesscomiccon.co.uk, get all your all the details there. Get your tickets, and uh, yeah, if you pop there on a Saturday, you might see us. Like we're going to wear our t-shirts. Should we wear our t-shirts? So we're I, cool. I wear clothes every day, Tony. I don't. Really no, know. our next <laughs> are awesome t-shirts. Yeah, well, of course yeah. we are. 
I might wear my emotional in my pants one. We're, we're, we're shameless that's a, when it comes to branding. Yeah, that's dangerous. Yeah. That, that t-shirt. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. And you're you're um, gonna um you've got a couple of other ones, haven't you, Tony? Yeah, so my main one, I was gonna do this as my recommend, but I've got another recommend, so I'll do this in the showers. But um I think the thing is with us is we are not backwards in coming forwards when we think people are taking a piss with price. So I thought it was only fair and balanced if we called out something that we thought was worth the money. So this is DC Universe Infinite, which landed in the UK. I know um, the old septic tanks have had it for a couple of years, but we've um, we've <laughs> just got that's, got that's, that's, that. Ama- that's Americans, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's it's basically the Marvel Unlimited for DC. It used to now, if you remember it when it started out, it did have like. I think Doom Patrol was on it, stuff like that, and some of the cartoons. But they've got rid of all the all the video content, so it's now just comics. So it's six ninety nine a month. But if you subscribe, this is not an advert. I just think it's well worth it. So I'm going to talk about it. So, if, but at the moment, if you sign up for it at the moment, it's thirty six ninety nine for a year, and they have also promised that that will be the renewal price if you stay with it. Um, now, if you work that out, that is three pounds and eight pence a month. That's now, how good is that? that? Mm. Um, Less than the price of a, co- <laughs> less than the price of a Batman comic. Yeah, mm. you know, and there's there's thousands and thousands and thousands of comics on there. Um, we've been waiting it for in for it in it for a couple of years. Um, there's um, there's still I know it was delayed. It was meant to be on Friday, and everyone on the Slack was talking about it. Have you downloaded it? It's not working yet, and all this sort of thing. And it's um, now working. I will say the interface is slightly slower. Than the Marvel or the Comicsology interval, the Kindle as it's now called. Okay. It sort of takes a slight, a tiny bit longer for each page to load, if you see what I mean. But yeah. I think that might be something that's going to get fixed because at first you couldn't download it, it wouldn't load, and now it does. So I'm guessing, I'm guessing that's going to improve. Um, it's got well, so a lot what of kind of stuff. Can you get? Can you get like back issues, or is it just yeah? So I've, stuff? I've made a little note of what you can get on there, dude. Yeah. So it's it's. It's got a number of sections there. It's got latest releases. Now, like the Marvel Unlimited app, that there's a time lag. So today, uh, yesterday I read the Catwoman Lonely City, which is issue one is on there. That came out this week, but issue three is out in the shops. So I'm guessing it's a few months. Now, it's not always a few months. Sometimes it might be four months. Sometimes it might be one month. It depends on what the issue is. Nice house on the lake, which is a sort of, kind of people are still talking about it just finished black label kind of book all it all the issues of that are on there oh, nice. wow um yeah already um they're also sticking stuff on there um that is old so they're put, currently putting all the milestone stuff on there so blood syndicates getting dropped oh, into okay. at the moment as well as hardware um they've got a highlighted section stuff like flashpoint um they've got a most read section they've got a staff picks section one of which is the future state stuff which i didn't read enough of so i've gone in and read a couple of them um the, I, so i thought right i'm going to try and pick random things and see what's on there um i thought what what sort of niche so i looked up amiga men series one yeah that's on there but if you look if you try and read a run of bronze age legion superheroes that's not all on there um uh ronin miller's ronin isn't on there okay sure why that is now i think that might be because miller has just announced that he's doing a sequel to that self-publishing it with dan dio isn't he i think so that might okay. be the reason um dark knight returns is on there um along with that the azrael run dark knights two and three and the other dark knight books um there's a specific miller batman section if you just want to read about um his, his what he what he's worked on on batman you can go on that it's got year one and all that sort of thing Fantastic. um other niche stuff ambush bug is on there 
Okay. <laughs> all of the ambush bug is genius. Because I don't think all of that is on comicsology. Oh, right. Interesting. I might yeah. go back and reading some uh, JLA. The kind of yeah, that's there's all that on there. Late 80s yeah. stuff. Yeah, I read a lot of the JLA. I was looking for the, the when Marv Wolfman moved from Marvel to was it Marvel? No, Steve Englehart moved from Marvel to DC. He he took some of the the Avengers storylines and made them into JLA storylines. So right. I was interested in reading that. Um, there's loads of Swamp Thing on there, um, including guest spots in other books. Interestingly, Watchmen isn't on there. It's oh. quite interesting, but I'm guessing because that's one of the few things that is just such a, a juggernaut of a sale. Yeah. In physical, you don't media. need to. Yeah, what yeah. do dudes see in something? What do dudes see in something? <laughs> um, uh, it's, um, uh, so I thought try something else niche. Yes, Arian Lord of Atlantis is on there. Fucking now I hell. own I own the entire run of that and have owned it since when it came out in like I don't know nineteen eighty two or something and never read it. So finally today I read the first two issues. Arian Lord of Atlantis. Ah, okay. Look how my life has changed. Yeah, Man, I that guilt I've had for years. Get time to fucking read all the comics. Like I've got the the Jump app, uh, Comic House. Uh, tons of stuff on comicsology which I haven't read. I'm just one of those people, you know, or just comic reader. Essentially, we have loads of comics that you don't have time to read. <laughs> well, I've been I've been on sort of hospital duty this week, so I've just been sitting at the bedside, mainlining the comics. Yeah, just go, um, me and the boy have been going through the app and stuff, so I've been doing mm. a bit of that. But there, yeah, I mean, I easily just today um, read an, enough comics that would have, if I'd spent the money on them, would have been more than the year's subscription money. Yeah, you know, so I genuinely think it's good. I think there's a, there's a couple of little fails on it, like the speed of the, the interface. And also there's a thing where you press on the community or something or the shop. And I think it, it should allow you to make in-app buys of physical media, I think. Okay. I think that's the idea. But it doesn't seem, it keeps saying not recognised in your area or something like that, your location. Okay. So I think there's still some stuff they need to sort of sort out. But it's it's been going already for about three years in America. So they've they've loaded on a lot of old comics on there. So, for example, I read... Um, New Teen Titans. I read like six issues of that from the eighties today. You know, so, so there's loads on there. So you're mainlining the title, and you said, "Well, I want to go to the next one." Will it, it queue up the next one ready for you once you finish that title? Yeah, then it, it just says next one. Yeah, and you oh, just press right, on it. Yeah, it cool. loads. Yeah, that, that sounds awesome. It's good, man. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, the, it's like the Marvel Unlimited one where I was reading that comic we're going to talk about, Dan. I was just yes. read down there because I was out. You see, because I've got these apps, and you know, collectively they don't cost that much a month. Mm. And rather than sort of fishing through a long box or, you know, buying it on Comixology or finding the trade somewhere and buying that, I just go there and read it that way. I actually really, I value them. I think they're good. Yeah. But I'm a mainstream comics reader as well, you know. I don't um, know why it took t- them so long to get around to doing this. I really don't, man. I, don't I should know. have been I mean, doing this like five odd years ago. A lot of people yeah. are jumping on it. There's a lot of little yeah. talk. There's talk on Twitter as little. I was like, oh, I go on there, but I had a look today. And it's all like, oh, have you looked? This is on there. Have you, have you seen this is on there? And that sort mm. of thing, which is good. Hopefully it does keep going what why we quickly broached twitter that it's interesting to read this week that they've been grossly inflating the number of active users on that site so that kind it? of yeah the, now that the, the old uh, musk buyout yeah. uh it's kind of coming to light that the, the amount of active users on twitter is like so grossly overinflated so that percentage you're talking about of the opinion of Twitter or what people yeah. are saying on Twitter, it's even smaller than what we thought Which, it was. I don't even remember about six months, maybe nine months ago. It was it was Mark Miller's <clears throat> Twitter. I'm not sure if it was him who was talking about that. Do you remember? I, that? I think we, we mentioned that, that in the interview. Yeah. Oh right. Okay. Yeah, I think yeah, we yeah. do. Uh, sorry, yeah. his apologies. It's about a week later after we've. Yeah, we did it last Monday. So. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah. so yeah, like to kind of like garner a, a opinion than what the, the word on the street is, if you know what I mean, from Twitter is uh, I would say ill advised because it's a very small snapshot. 
Yeah, I think if you're PR company, if you're if you're working in the publicity department at a comic company, Twitter's Caught almost Twitter almost ca- counterproductive yeah. to a lot of what you're doing sometimes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't know where to get. I don't know where to advertise. But yeah. <laughs> oh, I know. Yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, DC Universe Infinite, thirty-six pound ninety-nine. Brilliant. That's not bad. That's that one great. I mean, yeah. What the, what are those? Um, the, we bought a couple down recently. The Marvel collections. Um, the you know, the epic ones. The epic. Now they're yeah. thirty. They're thirty-two. Yeah. 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 <laughs> if you don't get them as well, and it's a popular one, you you're looking like a winner to get them. Yeah. Because there's a cap one, one. Yeah, a cap one I wanted was like, oh, I missed that. And it's like, oh, they're 100 pounds for that. I was like, oh, I ain't, yeah. I ain't getting that. <laughs> mm. Bastards. You both could just read it on the app. Free. There you go. Well, not free. Yeah. But. Do you think you two guys will do the DC one? You're not you're not big DC readers, are you? <laughs> no, I'm more uh, of a Marvel one, to be honest. Um, yeah. I, I may do. I may give it a, I may give it a try, I think. I think more, give it a more, month, man. Yeah, more yeah. for so, like, yeah. especially like the... Um, what was it? Their their house one. What was the name of that house? Their quiet house. The oh yeah, on the yes. lake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It would be things like that, and also some classic. Oh, oh. Yeah. Well, stuff. the Black Library stuff is really good. You know, basketball yeah. heads and that yeah. sort of thing are yeah. really good, man. I think you'd dig yeah. them. They're like yeah. hor- the horror vertigo, basically. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. probably yeah. That's the flavor that I'll be looking for mm. on there. So yeah, I'll probably oh, give it a try for that because it's infinitely cheaper than six ninety nine. Yeah. It's just oh, two, God. two, that's two, like... two of those fancy coffees you like yeah. from Starbucks. Vincent, well, it's that like one comic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> one digital was... comic. Yeah, I wanted to check out uh, Dick Fight Island after uh, Perch <laughs> talked about it so much. I don't. That's not on the app, obviously, because that's uh, a manga. But uh, yeah, did you find Dick Fight it. Island? No, I'm gonna have to track it down. Just remember, Dick Fight Island. Was it called Dick Fight Island? All right, okay. You can't beat that. Should I say that one more time? No. Yeah. What do they do on Really enunciate it. Yeah. You never guess what they do on Dick Island. But apparently that's what they do. They fight each other with their dicks or something. Okay. See, it's fucking selling itself. Come on. It's like that time we had the hotel. Otherwise, it's false advertising. Yeah. It's like that time we shared the hotel at Troops. You remember? It's like that time. Yeah. Well, me and you shared a room. Do you remember, Vince? Because someone else went and got a room first and then. Texted us how they were enjoying their widescreen television yeah, in their king yeah, size rooms. Yeah. Remember, and we were we yeah. were cuddled up in a single. That was bed me, watching, it? watching yeah. it, watching a Dolph Lundgren film. <laughs> I was watching the same Dolph Lundgren film. Hey, I was watching that same Dolph Lundgren film. Yeah, but you yeah, had the room right, to yourself, right. Dan. All right, yeah, yeah the mini bar open. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, yeah, and they charged but, uh, anyway, yeah. From, from that to some to other more somber news, yeah, somber news, yeah, to sad news. Um, we heard the very sad news that one of the absolute titans of the industry passed away, Neil Adams. Um, the way I discovered it is actually I got a text from Al Henderson um, saying um, just before Drink and Draw began, saying, "Christ, have you seen? You know, I might be awake. We're going to almost, you know." And, it, and, and I had a look, and like, oh, it was confirmed. I, um, he's amazing, Neil Adams. Yeah, he really is. Um, I don't, to me, he always looked the same age as well. I don't know why. He just had that big bush of hair, didn't he? You know. Um, I've taken a look at some of the photos. He has. There is that illusion. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. Um, I met him a few times, um, and he and he was really. You speak how you find. I think is one of the great things, isn't it? You know, and I I always found him absolutely brilliant. I got I, I bought a print, a Conan print off him. I think in New York, and um, I said, "Oh, can I have a picture?" And he said, yeah. And he's, and, and I'm sort of sitting next to him smiling. I sent you the picture, actually. Sitting next to him smiling. And he went, there's my hand. Uh, and he was wanting to shake my hand. So I shook his hand and had this picture. And um, 
and he didn't let go of my hand for ages. And he just sat there, sort of almost like you know that holding your hand, but as if it's being shaken. Yeah, yeah. Telling me about the use of color and how he managed to show the light on the page. It was a sort of a dusk kind of thing. And he talked to me about this the light on the page for ages. And he really, this is another thing I heard about him. He was like super generous with his time, um, and as well as being, you know a groundbreaking and incredible artist he was also responsible responsible for a lot of lot of things inside and outside the industry um yeah, i think he was his word was considered to be gold often and he recommended so many creators um and he would literally i think miller tells the story doesn't he frank miller about going to see him and every time he went to see him he'd get turned down at marvel he'd walk over to neil adams studio and he'd get te- torn a new one by neil adams every time and he said it was so useful and then he finally went there, showed him his portfolio for, you know, for sort of the fourth time or something. And, he's, and without saying anything, Neil Adams just picked up the phone and got him a job at, at, um, at a comic company. And this, that was the kind That's of dude awesome. he was, you know? Yeah. Um, so go and pick something up by him. Um, I, sort of, I put down a couple of my favourites. Um, the Avengers issues he did. Um, there's there's a great issue called Something Inhuman This Way Comes with Triton getting out of the water at the start, climbing onto the, the dock. Beautiful. Um, his X-Men work, uh, Mission Murder, and with the Sentinels. And then this, do you remember he the way he drew Havoc? You know when Havoc fires those sort of circular beams? Yes. Well. Yeah. yeah, it's beautiful. His Dead Man stuff at DC as well. You, what you're going to say, Vince, about how, what he was for you? Because you, you said something about him earlier, didn't uh, yeah, you? Yeah, um, Neil Adams is my Batman artist. Um, mm. And I, I, I say that because... Um, if I look down to the purity of it, and I know lots of people are like, well, Frank Miller's my artist, you know, the, the gritty, this, that, and the other, you know, dark, just greys and blacks. and But my Batman in my head, and I'm not saying that's the one I would draw or the one I, you know, if I if I was writing a Batman story, but yeah. when it comes to my Batman, it's the one I discovered when I was a kid, when I was reading the UK reprints. And my Batman, blue cape, grey costume, yeah. yellow symbol. That's yeah. my Batman, and that's yeah. and and for, for me, it was like, you know how you find your the first like Mark Bagley is my Spider Man artist. Do you know what I mean? It's, it, there's all these different characters that you have an iconic artist that does their best the best version yeah. of that. Neil Adams was my favorite Batman artist by far, by far. Yeah, I think he that he just summed up the way to. I mean, so many people, you know, Sinkevich and all these people came after him, didn't they? Yeah, he and, drew. Um, he drew like one of the, you know, when you get those classic, a uh, uh, like a comic story starts and it's a full page splash to start. I know exactly the one and you it, mean. And yeah. it's Batman swinging towards the reader, but he's yeah. sort of he's sort of like putting his hand, like a flat hand, sort of like he's reaching towards the it's reader. Three like D effect. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Gold, yeah. golden splash page. That yeah, brilliant. Just that is that's my Batman in my head. That's, yeah, yeah. yeah. What about like, you? Half scramble, yeah. I, I, I kind of uh, it's weird when when incidents like this happen, you kind of oh fucking hell, and then you you look back and you think Jesus Christ, this creator's had like a measurable impact on uh, the, the stuff I've read, the the kind of the comics I've yeah. enjoyed, and like Vince, I kind of very much remember those those Batman issues, and just mm. it's why he's like said Batman with his mask on, shirt off, hairy chest. Yeah, yeah, the rats are cool stuff. Yeah. yeah, in the desert, in yeah. the desert, macking like, on chicks, yeah, and, uh, like pushing on swords into people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like yeah. doing some shit. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> it was just a, the the classic. You know, for me, it was those comics that had the symbol where it's the the this sort of logo at the top of the comics was the Batman face. Yeah, I love that was my and favorite. And it said yeah. Batman. 
It wasn't Batman, and it, but there was this within like, within the chess symbol, wasn't it? It was almost yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, remember that period is more like I think they they were sort of saying like we weren't gonna they wanted to touch on slightly more serious issues, so they couldn't have like the Joker and stuff pop it up. So Neil Adams was one of part of the creative team that came up with Razo Ghul. Right, yeah, yeah. In fact, I've heard him talk on Fat Man on Batman about how you actually say it because we we've all been saying it wrong. Is rat? Is it? Can't on, remember how he says it now. Yeah, he corrects him, doesn't he? It's, yeah. Raz, Raz, Raz. I can't remember. I would yeah. just call it Raz Al Ghul. Um, yeah, me too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The other one, probably we should mention, is Hard Traveling Heroes. You know, oh fuck them, me, yeah. It, which is like, you know, really changed. That was another one. I think I'm right in saying didn't get the comics code authority, didn't it? The heroin issue. Yeah. When Speedy's I, on heroin. I only and read that. Was, remember last recently, last year. Or oh, so, that's when right. Those, those you read it, yeah. On those. And I was like, this is quite impactful now. I yeah. can't even imagine what it was like when it landed back in the day. That must have I been mean, a real kind of wall. I mean, I know Denny, I think Denny only wrote it off the top of my head, but it's, it's the bit where he says, the, the black dude says to him, like, you know, you, you fight for, you know, blue people and space and pink people. What yeah. about black people? Yeah. You know, in the 70s, man. Yeah. You know, and then you had Speedy on heroin and, you know, it's a real, you know, real. I think he's got Green Lantern just have anything to say. He literally just hangs his head in shame, sort of like yeah. he's defeated and the guy walks off. And it's like, yeah, that's that's how you do it. Yeah, I'll tell you what the other one I've got, I got a print off him um, as well. You'd like the is I got that um, Deadly Hands of Kung Fu cover, which is the Master of Kung, the um, Bruce Lee cover. Oh, he's nice. Like, he's like in the mirrors of the. Yeah. Oh, so good. Yeah. Lovely um, stuff. But yeah, look it up. The other thing, of course, he did an awful lot for um, creator rights. Yes, um, there's numerous examples, especially around the, the craze of Superman and getting them actually a decent bit of money when the mm. it's a movie was one of the biggest movies in the world. Um, but yeah, yeah, look at creepy, Deadly Hands of Kung Fu, Kill Raven, six million dollar man, Thor. The, the list goes on and on. Absolute huge loss. Yeah, real, um, real top ten bloke for me. We still get that going on five. now, don't we? Like kind of like a Marvel. Marvel film comes up and then they're not crediting the artist. Whatever. Well, there's a big like... thing about um, Disney not paying. Is it Alan Dean Foster who wrote a lot of the Star Wars novels? He's not getting nothing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think he did. Didn't he do the alien book as well? And all that sort of thing. He did, he did. a lot of those movie adaptions, yeah. didn't he? Yeah. Splinter of a Mind's Eye did that thing. And there's, yeah. there's a, I read a blog on about it this week about how they're, you know, they're not, somebody needs to sort them out because they're not getting enough, even re, in regards to the print media, never mind the movie stuff, you know. I mean, I complain about it and then I go and watch a fucking Marvel film. So I know. I'm we're a going, fucking hit Craig. And I know Brew, Brew Baker was the one. He said he makes more money out of the cameo, the one line he had in Civil War, than he does actually creating the character. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. On that bombshell. Yeah. It's mining us. <laughs> They're strip mining us now, aren't they? Yeah. But I was concerned. I, had to, I don't want to go into down in thoughts, but I was like, how many more generations of the kind of these, these kind of comics that we know and love got in them? Because I don't see the new blood coming in. It's yeah. like. I can't really see Teeny Howard's Excalibur making it to the big screen, can you? Yeah. yeah just... Oh well, we'll see. Yep. We'll see. We'll see. But until then, we're till gonna, then we're gonna recommend some comics for you lovely people. Till those dark days we'll be there. <laughs> till those dark days. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Like the beginning of Conan. Yeah. There were dark days. <laughs> When everything went digital and the price was ridiculous. (laughs) Selling off the digital rights, left, right and centre. And one day, the Awesome Comics podcast became financially viable. But that that is another story. (laughs) I know you like Dungeons and Dragons, but that's proper fucking fantasy, that is. (laughs) 
Oh dear. Uh, anyway, who would like to go first? Go on, you go first. I've talked loads. Um, I went to Comic House. I checked out a book. That, it's not a real house. <laughs> well, it's Tony, Tony's house. Tony's house yeah. of comics. Actually, that sounds a little bit seedy. When you yes. Put it like that. Um, I ch- I checked out a book that was uh, mentioned a little while ago when it when it was added. Um, I read Sherlock Holmes versus Skeletor. Um, oh, well, Gareth. Yeah, yeah. Gareth, Gareth J. Oh, Brooks. I've yet to read this. This, this is uh, Gareth 2010. So it's an oldie, but my God, it's a goodie. Yeah, it's a very, very simple, um, very simple premise. It's just Skeletor just picking on Sherlock Holmes, like real, but real sort of like <laughs> mundane stuff. I mean, <laughs> the the first page of the book is uh, a little Skeletor, and it's drawn in sort of like a very simplistic sort of cartoony manner. It's got a wonderful sort of uh, style to it. Um, and the the title says uh, Sherlock Holmes versus Skeletor, but Skeletor stood underneath that title with a tin of paint because he's he sort of painted over some of the titles. So all it says is Cockhole versus Skeletor. <laughs> um, and it's just an... S- it is, cockhole. It, cockhole versus Skeletor, yeah. Um, and it's basically a true example of how evil escalates like true evil villains just escalate because it starts off and they're all just like they're one page short strips a couple of them they, i think there's one or two that are two pages but it's just four four right. panels four or six panels a page starts off the first one skeletal puts a potato in sherlock holmes bed and sherlock holmes is like how on earth did that potato get in my bed <laughs> um but then it moves on that, like, you know, Sherlock is, wants to make himself a lovely cup of tea. Flicks on the kettle, walks away, Skeletor turns up, flicks the kettle off. And it keeps going backwards and forwards and, <laughs> and to the point where Sherlock Holmes throws the kettle away. A perfectly good kettle away. But then it gets to the point, and it's like Skeletor and Sherlock Holmes know each other. And they sort of hang out and stuff. But Skeletor chops some chilies, and he says, Now to get my hands well and truly covered in chilli juice... A few minutes later, Sherlock, I'm sorry for all the nasty tricks I've been playing. Quite all right, old chap. Nice. And they shake hands. Let's be friends. A capital idea, old boy. What a thoroughly nice chap. Whoops. Time to use the WC. And the last panel <laughs> is Sherlock Holmes having a weird going, It burns! <laughs> That's like a really painful version of chocolate-covered pretzel. Yep, isn't yep, it? Yeah, yep. And it, there's just loads of jokes like this. My favourite one is... Um, Skeletor just going into Sherlock's uh, kitchen, picking up a pot of his jam and farting in it. So that the next morning, uh, Sherlock Holmes opens up his jam and he just smells fresh farts. Um, it's uh, it, it's wonderfully childish. It, you will get a giggle at every page. And this is available on Comic House now. I really like the, the cover as well because the, <laughs> the cover really draws you in with this sort of like etching, this classic Victorian etching. Of Sherlock Holmes and, and the classic Skeletor. He's a funny dude, Gareth. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, we used to is, share a table at Bristol, me and Gareth. He's a good dude. Nice. This is a perfect example of that of that humour as well. It's just sort of I defy anyone not to read this and like smirk and chuckle. It's sort of it's, it's the perfect antidote to a rainy day. A book like this. I think so. he did a comic called "Can I Use Your Toilet" or something. Something <laughs> called that. <laughs> I mean, d- definitely. I mean. I know it's 2010. This is my introduction to the work, and I'm going to find out more of his work. And that's that's the beauty of comics. Award winning. 
yeah, it, it does, doesn't matter when you discover them as long as you discover them. So yeah, yeah. Sherlock Holmes versus Skeletor. Seek it out, people. That's my one. D-Man? I've got uh, B-Mecca. Uh, created and written by Jamie Me. Art and colours by Neri Riarty. Excuse me if I say that name incorrectly. Designed, lettered, and edited by Archie Date. Uh, this was uh, <clears throat> kickstarted a couple of months back. I'll say a couple of months. As soon as this campaign's done, I've got it in my uh, inbox, which is absolutely fantastic. And hopefully the the, the print version's uh, on its way because I just filled out the details for that. And it's an interesting premise to start off with. Uh, set predominantly in uh, the UK in Leeds. Uh, it's a story about a uh, the pilot of the, the, the mecha called Prizefighter, which is based in Leeds to kind of combat kind of kaiju threats. And the, the pilot's called Michael K. And we see like a, a a day in Michael K's life where he's got a lovely wife, a kind of a supportive team, but the, the Mecca program is severely underfunded and it's kind of struggling to, to face these upcoming threats. Uh, he has an off comment in the cockpit while by piloting prize fighter against the latest Kaiju. And essentially the media come after him for this comment that he says All right. and he sort of belittled and scorned them on social media cancelled essentially alright yeah so uh, someone in his team records what he says and it goes goes viral gets out there the news is all over him and he's sort of stuck with <laughs> the, the consequences which I presume we'll see play out in, in the next issue yeah. uh, it's an interesting premise uh, how it's done uh, I think he might be going for the record for the amount of C-bombs used in a single comic. Oh, right. really? There's loads. There's loads. It's great. It's like, I'd imagine, no disparaging people in Leeds, but I imagine there is a few C-bombs. I thought I was going for a few in the latest issue of Vanguard. There's quite a lot of C's in that, but this one might have me beat. I can obviously ramp the C count up because I'm still making mine, but uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. It's, Bring um, it up, mate. Keep going with it. Real fun, real fun comic. Uh, you'd be able to pick it up. He, he always has loads of copies at, at shows. So uh, track him down. I think you can find his comics uh, on twitter.com uh, at Jamie Me Writes. And he's got the Facebook, Instagram, and Kickstarter. Uh, just do a quick Google search and you'll find them. So yeah, go check that out. I, I really enjoyed it. Nice. Last one. Okay, turn it. Um, Jade and her schizophrenia. Right. Um, it's written by Jade Webster, drawn by J. Webster Sharp. I'll let you draw your own conclusions as to whether that's the same person. Um, there is a little indication from the story you'll hear me talk about in a second that it may be Jade Webster wrote it and then they, I don't know, did she get married or change her name or something and drawn by Jay Webster Sharp. It's a strange one. Um, okay. I think it's A4, black and white, cover, interior and interiors. Cards, really, you know, heavy cardstock paper, eight quid, which I thought in the world of small press isn't actually too bad. It's a nice size comes out as sort of an extra size art book almost you know mm. um i think last week we talked um with nick about autobiography comics and how um sometimes it's it's an interesting discipline isn't it there needs to be a bit of honesty in, involved in it and and we we i felt that we weren't seeing a lot of it and i think we all talked about how difficult it is to do something like that you know um now i'm going to treat this as if it is an autobio comic although it's not ultimately clear as to whether it is or if it's a piece of fiction or perhaps it's sort of almost like a pseudo autobiographical comic i think there's you know certain things can be used as metaphors and parallels and stuff like that you know when you're doing that sort of thing 
it is absolutely searingly honest and revealing if it is um and it is a genuine a genuinely well-made exercise in describing a very traumatic tale and then taking that tale and putting it into comments so um, you feel a lot of emotion coming off the page so here's, here's essentially what it what it's about um it's almost fragments, if you see what I mean by that. It's something I'm kind of trying to do with my new thing. It's almost like fragments of story that have a, a more intense meaning because you sort of read into it. Um, from the narrator, um, who never at any point describes himself as being, you know, it never says, this is what happened to me, but there is a narration to it. Um, the narrator heard voices and found as a child and found themselves heading into a rabbit hole of conspiracy narratives and fringe theory as they grew up. Um, plagued by um i think their work um i think they i can't remember what they're doing but they worked in, in somewhere that made them active at night time and this sort of drove them out into the night and they and the the the, the person got an active paranoia through insomnia um and became quite investigative into the the events around julian assange and wikileaks and this route um Th- had them dive a little bit into sort of extremist political theory, extremist actors. Um, and then that turned into delusions of being followed and her phone being tapped. She even believed that Worcester sauce flavored crisps protected her from satanic forces. <laughs> I didn't know Bloody that. Hell. But uh, that's, yeah. uh, that, that's, that's just true though. Isn't it? Really yeah, salty. Copy. <laughs> yeah. I have to say that actually reflects on what we talked about last week about sometimes a bit of humor um, yeah. makes it more real. Um, the first half of the comic is a page after page. I think I showed you some of it um, before we began of illustrated text with images of it look like they're from the diary of a prisoner at Broadmoor. I'll be honest with you. You know, there's pentangles and goats, um, dead people, centipedes, um, people with guns in their mouths as if they're about to kill themselves. Um, and But drawn with quite, quite you know, real detail, which is... Um, is doesn't it compares differently to how it is in the second half of the book um at one point the narrator believes that piers morgan is speaking telepathically to her and directing her where she should go and even what she should look at um and then she decides she goes wandering off into the night i think she goes she goes missing from her family and she decides to go to the ecuadorian embassy and this must have been when assange was there do you remember he was sort of holed up in there wasn't he yes. fearing arrest? yeah um, and she goes to the embassy and she finds a couple of policemen who are on guard there and says, you know, I'd like to see Julian, you know, and they said, oh, I don't think he's seeing anyone at the moment. And they very wisely check on her name and discover that she's a missing person and a vulnerable person. So they take her into what's called a place of safety. Um, and then the book changes. The last, it's almost half, just under half of the book is done in a much more um, stricter comic way. So it's on eight panel pages. Um, so two, 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 as the page goes down. And it's it's kept to that style throughout. And it does, it becomes more of what we would see as perhaps sort of mainstream style of comic visuals. Um, and it actually follows a more linear path. And it shows how she got um, she got sectioned. For those not in the UK or don't know what it means, it means you're, you're kind of ordered by court order or by legal order to go to... Um, I don't know what they would call it, a mental institution back then, possibly, you know, a psychiatric home, that sort of thing, and go there and get treatment. And it describes the people she meets there, the way she felt. And there's little bursts of personality, and you, it has a realness to it as to whether it's true or not. I'm still not sure. Um, it's, um, and not, we reviewed, I reviewed a book by um, Jay Webster Sharp a few months ago, I'm going to say. And um, 
there's a picture of her. This is weird to say, but there's a picture of her on her Instagram, and she looks like quite a normal person. You know, a nice person. Okay. I expected yeah. her to be one of these people with, and I'll use the phrase here, a lot of shit in her face. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But she just looks like, like a nice person. So I don't know whether this is true. It seems it's extremely dark. Um, but I just I just find it really, really interesting. It's 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 everything at once. It's real, it's it's very insightful and personal. It's frightening, you know, you feel the fright in this person. Um, it's very sad. But it has them a good natured and relatable humor at points as well, which I think makes it even more real. Um if you like that stuff, it's not for everyone. You know, some of her books do have like, you know, teeth for eyeballs and all this sort of thing. Um, there's a lot of twisted stuff in there. Um, but this this is probably of all the books, the one that has a sort of gen- a real narrative structure to it. Uh, you can go and find Jade and Jay Webster Sharp um, before, after and current. Um, I'm not sure which is which on Instagram at J underscore Webster underscore sharp S H A R P. No E on the end. Uh, or you can go to J Webster which is her website. And I think there's links to the shop. I got mine off the shelf today at gosh. I said to um, Tom was putting stuff out. I said, Oh, what are you putting out? And he says, oh, I'm putting some of this out. And I said, oh, I've read some of this stuff before. I'll grab one of these. I'm not sure if it's that new. It might, I don't know what's the newest thing, but it, maybe it was a restock, but so I got it off the shelf today. And gosh, um, yeah, really, a really interesting creator to me, like someone who's doing something very different. And like we talked about last week, is putting themselves out there, is taking that chance, oh, and yeah. is making it all the more interesting because of that for me. So, yeah, that's my one. Uh, Jade and her schizophrenia. Yeah. Nice. Nice. So there you go. Plenty of different sort of comics for you to check out there, as always, from this show. And we hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Um, if there's anything you want us to touch on more or talk about in the in the future weeks, then please get in touch with us. You can email us awesomecomicspod at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at the awesome pod, where we'll be retweeting or posting stuff. Who knows? Occasionally we might we might put up something uh some a little bit of artwork we might be discussing on next week's show. We'll talk oh, about that's, yeah, it's a good one for next we'll, week, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. We'll, yeah. Talk, we'll talk about that show in a minute. But um if you do the book of faces uh, go to facebook.com slash awesome comments podcast join the community group awesome comments talk and if you want to join the awesome comments podcast slack channel slack group channels all of that good stuff uh please get in touch with us there's a wonderful community of people on there who just yeah. just want to talk about comics and uh and just positivity yeah as well as, well as like you know art tips creative tips Crowdfunding, um, we've got crowd, a crowdfunding channel on there. Yeah, crowdfunding, yeah. um, I think Farhan, Farhan put up some questions, didn't he, this week? And, yeah. um, about which image to use, and that then became an image he used on his Kickstarter. And he was, mm. like, oh, thanks for that, guys. You know, I think, yeah, it's really, yeah. people are really put a question up there, people are going to help you. Yeah, yeah. P- yeah, positive and productive. Um, just just vibes is what we want to put into this is this community so please please get involved and thank you for listening to us whether it's on the website awesomecomics.podbean.com if you listen to us on apple the podcast apple system then please you know just say something nice about us in a review give us, <laughs> give us, some, give us some five stars you know there, there's things called algorithms um, <laughs> uh, apparently they are a thing and um, almost seven years now guys Couple yeah. months away from seven years, aren't we? Fucking hell. I know. I know. So, um, 
Yeah, so we our our egos are fragile, and we're exhausted. <laughs> and we're exhausted. So please give us a nice. And we don't help ourselves to make ourselves popular. No, it. no. Um, but if you did hear us on another network like Spotify, Amazon, Stitcher, Podnose, Podknife, what other networks are we on, Tony? We're on the network Pod Cumbot Three Thousand. <laughs> I'm, I'm not even going to touch that one. I'm just going to leave that one there. I think, I think that tells he knows you, what he did. I I th- oh, fuck it now. <laughs> the, the cumber was particularly hilarious as a drink and draw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you, sh- you shouldn't have said any more than that. You know, you got to leave people with a bit of mystery. They didn't come along, it. can't they? Could they come and meet the cumber three thousand? Uh, what what a way to finish off a show. Um, but ne- next week we're going to be going going back to delve into the world of comic book covers, and we'll be talking about the good, the bad, and the ugly, um, and. In the nature of my clickbait, clickbait title, I'm trying. <laughs> the new attempt we've made to appeal to popular, it will, popular it, it, it will probably, it will probably be something like, "Is the art of the comic book cover dead?" Yeah. Um, yeah, I, thought, so, I thought we could do comic covers that are shit. Yeah. Or why? We'll up, com- we'll why comic book covers suck? Yeah. And then when yeah. people listen to it, I go, "They don't." But here's a few that do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's what we'll be talking about next week. So, you know. Can we just keep... call an episode, episode Yo Mama or something like that just to get people? <laughs> Your mum sucks. I'll tell you what, the, ne- <laughs> the, ne- the next Nothing But Three Amigos comic. Your mum went to college. Yeah, <laughs> it would just be called Your, your Mum. Um, anyway, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, too far. Our leadership, our listenership has been growing recently, so we don't want to completely yes. ostracise them. And yeah. Thank you to everyone who has been listening to the show recently. We really appreciate. It. We hope you're enjoying the show, and we bring a, a, a smile and some positive comic talk. And if you're new, go back and have a listen to some of the old ones. There's loads yeah. of gold back then. You yeah. can literally jump into any episode. Uh, like the, the the kind of description will give you an idea of what we talk about. We do have yeah. a lot of themed episodes yeah. and yeah. process episodes, and yeah. And if you want, if you've got something you want to shout out, if you're a small press creator, then send us a message. We'll give you a little yeah, shout please out. Know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So please do, and uh, please go ahead and have a lovely week, because um, without you people, we wouldn't exist, and comics wouldn't exist. We would let's, exist, wouldn't let's we? Be, let's yeah. be, no, no, we don't exist other than this show, Tony. Do you, do you know that? <laughs> Dan left his camera on for ages today. I enjoyed it. Um, um, I didn't do anything untoward. No, you not really. Did, yeah. you, you didn't, but uh, me and Tony did. Uh, <laughs> um, I could make the uh, what do you call it? The OnlyFans joke, but I think that we've gone past. We've done that, that a few times. Only OnlyFans. Anyway, come up with a new running joke for the show. Yeah, yeah. we we, we, we do not, need a new one, don't we? we yeah, yeah. We, yeah, we do have to find another joke that we're going to just run into the ground until it ceases yeah. to be any form of humour. <laughs> but How long um, is it since we did here, Wayne. We've done that. Haven't done that. Oh, oh, no, God, we did it about yeah, six months yeah, ago, didn't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you do it every three or four. That's weeks, almost so as old as Miller yeah. Watch. That one. Yeah, 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 yeah. almost. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but thank you for listening, everyone. Um, where can people find us online, etc.? Tony, I almost missed the shout-outs then because I was thinking <laughs> we're, we're almost done. But Tony, where can they find you? Uh, Neveronanything dot com. Thank you, uh, Dan. You can find me. Uh, we well, can read Vanguard at vanguardcomic.com or check out the Patreon, which is uh, Vanguard Comic. I'm on both. Love Get it. on it. Get on it. And you can uh, find me on the social medias at Jester Diablo. Um, thank you Staring again. Staring into the eyes of his cat. Oh, yeah. God, yeah. Yeah. I like animals more than people. Apart from you, people. I saw your, uh, you're amazing. We're like animals. our bookcase. That was fucking ace. Vince. Yeah, like our bookcase. Yeah, I did like that, actually. Yeah, yeah, look at you, DIY monster, you. Yeah, I know. I Andy, Andy. I'm, the thing is, I, I think I've messed something up because one of the strips is a different colour to the rest. So I'm, 
Oh, that's feel... driving you fucking nuts because you're like, yeah, it weird is, like that, it is, you? it is. But at the same yeah. time, it's keeping me humble. Anyway, uh... <laughs> <laughs> all I've got to do is show you a bad cover, and you, it ruins your day. Oh God! Just wait till next week, everyone. Just wait. <laughs> the knives uh, are out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We'll call it knives out. I'll, I'll play the music from the film Knives Out on the. No, I won't because we'll, we'll probably have to pay for it. Or something. Get copyright. Of yeah, Craig yeah, doing yeah, a stupid yeah, accent. Yeah. Uh, that's one of his better accents actually that, you think so film. yeah yeah it's one of the films he's, he's, I think he's really good anyway before the show becomes something <laughs> else have a brilliant week like everyone uh, yes we love you I love you come Tony on, doesn't love you come on, come on I love two of you Ooh. and I've made love to who, another three of you who, who, who is that well it's you two th- th- well there's only <laughs> there's oh. only oh well yeah what that <laughs> <laughs> uh, shocked you, innit? Uh, yeah. You're all I mean, blushing like a 12 year old girl now yeah, there, yeah, in yeah. the playground. I'm, I'm just thinking about all those times I fell asleep near you. But while yeah. I'm thinking about that, me too. Have a brilliant, <laughs> have a brilliant week. Read loads of comics. Just make, keep making comics. Um, keep being brilliant people and awesome people. And uh, yeah, until you hear from us ranting and raving next week. Um, what should they do, guys? Stay, Stay awesome. awesome. Nailed it. Yeah, you're on point now. It's yeah, really, man. Really good. Like a well-oiled machine. It's not that good. But, you know. It's not that well-oiled. Bye, everyone. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>